Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to Sacred Symbols, the Internet's most beloved PlayStation podcast. If you want to get our show three days earlier than free feeds and completely without ads, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Your support on Patreon also allows you to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show, gives you the ability to vote on the Let's Plays we do, allows you access to exclusive podcasts, and more. You can also buy Sacred Symbols merch by going to tinyurl.com slash sacredshirts. I suspect you'd look damn sexy with our logo emblazoned across your chest, but that's just one man's opinion. Of course, we love our free feed listening audience, too. If you don't have the means or desire to show us support on Patreon or with merch, please consider leaving us a nice review on the podcast service of your choice and let friends and family know about Sacred Symbols. We, on the other hand, will keep making Tuesdays great again. But enough chatter. Have at you. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 47. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined by the Halo playing Chris Raygun. Chris, how are you today? I'm doing very well. 47 is a lot. It is. It is a lot. We're, we're almost getting episode, old. We are. We're getting very old. We're almost episode 50. I actually have my brother Dagan Moriarty, who as a lot of the audience knows is the co-host of my other podcast or one of my other podcasts, Knockback, also the lead designer and animator of Sesame Workshop and an Emmy Award winner. No big deal. He's making <laughs> uh, art. For us, some very basic art that we'll be sending out to our highest end patrons this month to celebrate actually our 50th anniversary. 
our awesome. 50th episode 50th. anniversary. <laughs> and uh, so that's pretty exciting. I'm getting a call right now. Should we answer it? Sure. Okay. For Kelly Jones, calling you from the Department of Social Security Administration. The, the hell? have received a phone call from our department is to inform you that there is illegal enforcement actions have been filed on your social security number. This is a terrifying phone call. So when you get this message, speak to our officer or kindly call us back on our hotline number 8007017 don't disregard this notice and to return the call before we begin with illegal proceedings against you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, my God. That, there's something about that vaguely humanoid Android voice that really, like, that's like fight or flight to me. So here's the disappointing thing, though, Chris, is that I got similar phone calls, like these robocalls last year about, like, the IRS threatening something or whatever, like these, these kinds of obviously fake and fraudulent yeah. calls. And I tried so many times to call them back. And they would not answer the phone. I was like, I wanted to record a, like a audio of me, like kind of just going along with it and like yeah. acting like I really. And so they gave me the number, but I don't I'm not confident anyone's going to call, you know, no. pick up the phone. So what's the point actually of this? Some men just want to watch the world burn. I guess so. Jeez Louise. Well, I'm glad we got to qu- catch that live, Chris. That yeah, was very exciting. That was very exciting. <laughs> yeah, very, very riveting <laughs> audio entertainment. For people that don't know, Sacred Symbols of PlayStation podcast is our weekly show. Chris and I do it every Tuesday. Actually, we record it Monday. It goes live on Tuesday over on Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, where you can get the show three days earlier than everyone else and without ads. Yeah, you, screw all those people. Yeah, if you want to be a freeloader, though, we appreciate you, too. You can check us out on Fridays, three days later on free feeds like iTunes, Google Play, etc. Please leave us nice reviews over there if you listen to the show. And tell your friends and family about the might, the majesty, and the wonder. But please do not tell your enemies about sacred symbols. We don't want them listening to this show. Chris, merchandise still going around. Mm-hmm. People are still enjoying the merchandise. People are still sending us lots of pictures. A lot of people are buying all five shirts, which I find pretty extraordinary. That's kind of awesome. You know, I really do appreciate that. So remember, you can go to tinyurl.com slash sacred shirts to see all of the shirts that we're selling for the various Collins Last Stand brands. They're made in America. Uh, they are a little expensive because of that. If you can't afford it, remember, go to patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. Download the high res logos for the various shows for free and make your own merch. We just ask that you do not sell it or make a profit off of it. But we want you to be able to rep the brand nonetheless. Yeah. Chris, SideQuest, my YouTube channel over at youtube.com slash Collins Last Stand SideQuest. This was a show that I was doing like once a week or so, and it's kind of fallen a little bit to like a once a month, maybe twice a month kind of thing, because I'm right. just kind of busy. And so as I said last week, I hired a writer. She has written the first script. I've recorded it. It is currently being edited. And we'll go live on, let's see, I have it here on Monday. I'm sorry, on Wednesday, May 22nd. So by the time a lot of people hear this, the first of those episodes will actually go live. And we're going to hit a little bit of a cadence, I think, from here on the SideQuest YouTube channel. Every other week, we'll put up one of the SideQuest episodes. And then in the interstitial weeks, we'll put up a Let's Play. And we owe you a lot of Let's Plays. We know that. Not a lot. We owe you a few. So May 22nd, SideQuest will will come back for a bi-weekly thing going forward, hopefully. And then Let's Plays will begin May 29th, moving forward from there. Okay. I think we'll be good. So Chris, next week, we'll record the overcooked two let's play that we have to do and the kingdom hearts let's play that we have to do and those will begin to go live so i promise those are coming we'll continue to have elections on patreon.com slash collins last stand so you can determine the games you want to torture us with etc and so on kingdom hearts is going to be fun i'm looking forward to it 
And the solution, the audio solution I figured out is just much easier than I had thought. I'm not a very smart person when it comes to technology. <laughs> I'm really not mean? a very smart what person the, generally what the, speaking. What was the solution? So as you know, if you plug audio into the controllers, the controller tells the PS4, as we've discussed, that audio is being driven through that so you can't capture it. So older TVs and some smaller TVs like this one here in my office have an audio out jack. So we can just get a splitter for that and then plug both plug into that. Oh, perfect. And then it won't tell the PS4 that the audio is being captured somewhere else. And then it will be able to drive through. So we'll be able to hear it because typically we do Let's Plays like when we did Scrabble and Bloodborne where we don't really need to hear the game. But yeah. we actually, unfortunately, need to hear the game. Oh, when for it comes sure. To Kingdom Hearts 3. So I just want you guys to all know that we haven't forgotten about you. Chris, it's also Minecraft's 10th birthday. I know, right? And That's I wanted, crazy. I wanted to acknowledge that. It is an Xbox property technically, but it is on PlayStation platforms. And yeah, it's crazy. I was looking into it. So it came out well, May 17th, 2019 is the 10th anniversary of it coming out in its most primitive for, like first form, basically, in 2009. The game has sold 175 million copies, making it the best-selling video game of all time. And came to PS3 in December of 2013, PS4 in September of 2014, and then Vita in October of 2014. It's still being updated regularly on PS4, PS3, and Vita are basically legacy editions that are no longer updated. But I do want to congratulate the team over there because that's an extraordinary, an extraordinary thing. And you'll remember that Microsoft bought it from Mojang, which is basically, I think, two or three people for $2.5 billion. <laughs> that's insane. So everyone got like, you know, a billion dollars. Yeah, good day. Lord. Now, I know Notch has gone completely off the deep end online, and that's fine. That's up to him, I guess. It's his prerogative. But I do wonder sometimes when you have that much money, does it really matter anymore? You know, if Probably you have that not. much money, do you? He's do you, definitely got fuck you money. I mean, you he's got I mean? his money has fuck you money. I mean, <laughs> that's the way it goes. So he follows me. He's does a, he? Yeah, he's cool sometimes. Yeah, I don't I don't really hear from him much except for like when some drama is happening. But who yeah, knows? pretty much. Also, Chris, a little bit less ceremonious and i do want to talk about this because we got some letters from the audience and remember that's how you submit your questions comments concerns thoughts and ideas as well is by going to patreon.com slash collins last stand switch has outsold ps4 officially in japan oh no this has been a pretty big piece of news simply because it did it in about half the time it's kind of crazy and so the numbers are at 8.13 million to 8.08 million in japan and obviously they're never going to cross over again i assume switch will be going forward switch only came out Less than two and a half years ago, PS4 has been on the market. It's in its sixth year now on the market. So congratulations to Switch. I did want to acknowledge that it seemed like newsworthy, but I don't really know how. Yeah, yeah. But we did get some letters. It's kind of it. wild considering how well the PS4 is doing overall. I agree. That it managed to outsell it in Japan, too. Japan. Japan. Jose wrote in and said, has Sony given up on Japan? The Switch has just surpassed lifetime sales of PS4 in just two years. Is Sony's main fo focus on U.S. and Europe? Well, no, I don't think they've given up on Japan. It's yeah. just not a really vital market to them. I think they told us that when they released PS4 in the United States first, yeah. which was unprecedented. We got literally in the U.S. was the only place you can get a PS4 at first. And they thought that that was important because of the allocating all the units to the biggest market. So I think that they're just focused like a laser on the U.S., on Canada, on Europe, on South America, Middle East, these places where they can make a lot of money. And Japan, I mean, 8 million units isn't anything that's, you know. No. That's... Pretty much one in 10 people in, in Japan have a PS4. Not bad. Not too bad. Not bad at all. But at the same time, yeah, I understand your concerns, but I think it's just an interesting note. I don't think I think it focuses more on how they play games there. If you've ever been to Japan, you'll just you'll know that inherently when you're there, that people are on their phones, they're on their DSs, they're on their even on their Vitas. And um, so it's not a huge surprise. It's a very portable heavy market. It is, especially in Tokyo, where a third of the population lives. 
So there's that. Anthony Polanco wrote into us and said, hi, CNC. Oh, hi. Said parenthetically, pregnant pause. Wait for Chris to say hi. Yeah, I'll go along with it. (laughs) Now, remember, Chris can see this. So we're reading the same document as, you know, I write the show and put it all together. But Chris and I are looking. So it's hard to really get one on Chris. Yeah, you can't can't uh, can't can't get me. Can't sneak up on him. Can't sneak up on me. Anthony wrote, with the recent news that the ESA, Entertainment Software Association, has appointed Stanley Pierre-Louis as the new CEO of the organization, after the explosive story published by Variety regarding former CEO Mike Gallagher and his leadership qualities and alleged overall toxic culture in the organization, do you think we can expect any major changes in the video game industry or the way ESA operates as a result? Do you think this could result in changes to the way the organization approaches and runs E3, especially given that more and more publishers are abandoning it? Also, why isn't mainstream games media covering this change and the alleged toxic culture at ESA more? It may just be me, but I haven't seen any sites remain VG insiders or influencers writing or speaking about this except from one or two sites. You would think that given how much game personalities, insiders, media sites, and such are generally quick to blast studios and publishers nowadays for toxic work environments without knowing all the facts, they would be quick to do the same towards the ESA if what Variety highlights is true. Anyway, would love to hear your thoughts on this. Keep doing the Lord's work, and thanks for the content you and Chris put out. Happy to be a patron. Thank you so much, uh, Anthony. So I wanted to bring this up at the top before we even get into the news. Yeah, because I missed this story, too. I don't know if you saw this. I had I have no idea what the hell this is. So Variety, which is a famous Hollywood type publication. Brian Crescente works there. He's actually he actually got fired, I think, and is leaving after E3. He announced that a little while ago, like they're not doing gaming coverage anymore. But you guys might know Brian Crescente from his time at Kotaku, etc. He's an investigative reporter. And after I got this letter from Anthony on Patreon, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? So I went and read it. There's this expose on Variety about the ESA. The ESA, for people that don't know, is the American lobbying body, basically, for American publishers and developers in Washington. So, you know, everybody has their own lobbying thing. My friend that I went to college with, the girl that Aaron and I met through actually at Northeastern, works for the mall lobby, as an example, in Washington. So a lot of interesting stuff happening there. Anyway, the ESA is basically funded, half-funded, by about 45 publishers around the world that they represent their interest in the United States. The other half, interestingly, the other half of their revenue comes from E3. And Hmm. there's all this interesting stuff in this variety story about if the ESA should split E3 off, that other companies have like tried to buy E3 or even run it themselves as a proxy. Pop Read, I think, was one of them or whatever. They're the guys that do packs. So there's a lot of interesting stuff there, but there's also a lot of interesting stuff about the old CEO, Mike Gallagher, being really untoward and really inappropriate and all this kind of shit. And so go to Variety and read the story. It's really interesting. This is the kind of stuff we ask more for, and even I missed it. So I wanted to put it at the top of the show. Highly right. recommend everyone go read the expose and draw your own conclusions. Thank you, Anthony, for bringing that to my attention. Jeff Scott wrote into us and said, hey, guys, a tad hypothetical here. But if an asteroid was headed straight for Earth to wipe us out, what announced but not yet released game would you be most disappointed in if it never saw the light of day? Also, what game would you want to play one time before humanity's ultimate demise? Chris, I felt like this was a perfect question for our podcast. That is a really good question. So he asks, asteroid mercifully hurtling towards Earth, (laughs) right? Yeah. It's coming. There's nothing that can be done about it. There's nothing to worry about. For some reason, people are still working on video games at this point instead of being with their families or going into some weird cults or trying to hide in mountains or whatever. What game, Chris, would you want to see released that is announced but not yet out? I would be really sad to not be able to play Doom yeah, Eternal. Figured, that would be so sad. That, that would be crushing to th- me. That's the answer that came to me too, Chris, because it's almost the perfect game yeah. to play at that time. So Doom. Doom Eternal. Doom Eternal. 
I would be so... Oh, man. Ooh. I don't even want to think... I'm getting sad just thinking about that. I don't know. I'm kind of excited about it. It's, it's entirely possible, if not likely, that there are asteroids around that their trajectories, unbeknownst to us... But you know you have those moments... T- but there, there are always those moments where it's like, uh, you know, a game will come out and you're like, ah, good. Now I don't have to worry about surviving. Because I have nothing else to look forward to. That's true. You know? That's true. And there's very brief moments of that where it's like something doesn't come up that's like, ooh, I want to see that. So it's like that would have been the perfect time. It's a shame. Well, Oblivion will be nice for you <laughs> when you no longer... And I don't mean the game, by the way. I mean no. just complete... I've never, I don't think I've played Oblivion. I think Oblivion. Hayden Plymel wrote into us, Chris. This is an interesting one. He said, also, I turn 21 tomorrow. Holler at your boy, CNC. He wrote, also, I turned... Tw- T-U-R-N-E-D... 21 tomorrow holler at your boy cnc huh do you think hayden is it possible in, in fact that hayden traveled from the future he could be a f- i don't know any humans named hayden so i'd imagine this is like some kind of fourth dimensional being a critter of some sort i turned 21 tomorrow, tomorrow. i turned curious 21 tomorrow. i think the government should look into this nasa cool. specifically huh well Happy birthday, maybe. I don't know when you, I don't know where you're from or when. So it's hard for me. <laughs> where to... are you from? Chris, let's get into the games we're playing. Sure. I see here you're playing Rage 2. Yeah, I'm still playing it. I still like it. It's gotten better as, I, as, as I've as i gone along. Like in the beginning, I didn't like the open world really at all, but I've, I've kind of gotten used to the driving in it, which at first I thought was wonky and it's like that's made it a little bit more bearable. It's still empty, uh, but I find it a lot more fun now. The abilities that you get later on are like crazy. And the weapons you get are insane, so it's like, it's really satisfying. I like it. I played it a little bit more, because I was distracted by Castlevania Anniversary Collection this past week. Oh. But I must reiterate, you know, having, again, only been a few hours in, so I haven't seen much of the open world yet and stuff like that. There is something really fun about just popping these motherfuckers' heads with... It's ridiculous. The sound design's really good, too. It's, it's a really good. crisp, clear explosion. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun to play. Like, it's just the gunplay and, and all that, the engagement... Is really, yeah. really solid. I heard the game's really short. I don't know if that's true. I heard the game's under 20 hours. That seems really short to me that for an sounds... open world game of this caliber. But I don't know. I haven't played that it That sounds about right for a shooter. For a linear shooter, maybe. I mean, Wolfenstein's are 20 hours. Well, like long. Doom 2016 is probably not even 10 hours. Right. You know what I mean? But why make it an open world game then? This is the problem of like... I think it's a beta test for an open world Doom, to be honest. Maybe. That would be cool. Well, maybe not. See, I don't know that I would want that. I, I don't know if I would want it either. I, I want a linear Doom. I want I want linear Wolfenstein games as well. So yeah. I don't know. Like, I guess this type of arcade, like this kinetic gameplay feels really good in the moment, but then it's over. Yeah, and then, then I have to like go find it again. No, it exactly. Fi- so it's it's kind of frustrating in, in that regard. I, I do hope. Uh, but it does feel like one of those things where it's like, hey, let's push this out and see how people react to the open world elements of it to see if it's something we should. Pres-. It does feel like kind of one of these kind of test bed games to me as I play it but it's still fun I like it I do have a problem with like the lull in between combat but the more I play the more uh, satisfying it gets and the the guns are ridiculous they're so cool there's a gravity dart where you could shoot something into somebody and then shoot it in the sky and then they get flung up into the sky it's ridiculous yeah that makes no cool sense stuff. it's so cool I like that kind of stuff a lot yeah I do say though also that again the game's upgrade systems are too obtuse yeah. and the menus are really laggy and I agree I don't know. It, it reminds me. Of, I mean, this is a weird pull, but it reminds me of playing Chrono Trigger on PlayStation when they ported it to PS1. The game was so badly ported that going into the menu took all this time. So people would like hit around about how they would start planning out all the things they needed to do in the menu so that they would only have to go in like once every so often. 
And it reminds me a little bit of that where I'm like, this is this sucks. I hit R1 to go to this thing five seconds ago. Yeah. Why isn't it moving? You know? It's got a lot of uh, kind of polish problems. They would bother me a lot more if the main gunplay wasn't so good. Like yeah. if, if the game, if the main gunplay wasn't so good, this would be like a disaster. Honestly, I agree. But I guess I wonder. Well, I wonder two things. Why go back to rage at all? And why have such kinetic? I, again, I think it is experimental. I think you're right you know, have this really doom-like gunplay in such an open and barren world. It's interesting because I don't mind open, barren worlds. I actually think Avalanche's Mad Max was a really wonderful open, barren world, and it told the story of the game. I don't know. I, I'm. It's funny watching the... It's very divisive. It's mm -hmm. funny watching yes. this because some people think it's like the best game of the year. No. And I find that hard to believe. I think Days Gone is a much superior game. But... And I don't think Days Gone is the best game of the year either, by the way. Right. I, don't, I don't know what the best game of the year would be, to be perfectly honest. Sekiro for me. So yeah, far. I haven't played it yet, so that's probably on the list. Yeah. You know, and Metro Exodus, which we'll talk about in a little while. Anyway, I'm playing Castlevania Anniversary Collection. I put up a full video review of it. It's like eight minutes long on SideQuest if you guys want to check it out. It's worth noting that these are the English language ports, but Konami has promised since then that they're going to patch in the Japanese versions of the games, which is cool. And especially noteworthy for Castlevania 3 because Castlevania 3's Famicom release has an enhanced sound chip in it that makes the sound sound way better. So you guys have that to look forward to. But it's good. It's Castlevania, Castlevania 2 and Castlevania 3 from the NES, Super Castlevania 4 from the SNES, Bloodlines from Genesis, The Adventure and Belmont's Revenge from Game Boy, and then Kid Dracula, which is a which is a spin-off kind of kiddie game from Famicom that was never released here. So it's actually the first time we've ever played that game on Native Hardware. That's kind of cool. So it's a nice package. It's much better than the Castlevania Requiem package in terms of its presentation and all of that. And they do have this really neat, like 80 page, almost PDF style book that has interviews and all this detail and art in it. Finally, concept art for Castlevania, which is so rare. And I just am frustrated by it because it's really hard to navigate and look at. Like, it's why does everything have to be so hard? It's like, finally, you did this. You gave us some material and now you make it impossible to look at like in, a, in, a, in an effective way. It's so fucking annoying. But the games are very faithfully ported. I've beaten almost all of them since I've had it. And I really just love those games. So I highly recommend it. $19.99 or about $250 per game is a very appropriate price. And for those of you that listen that don't want to play it on PS4 and have other options, it is available on Switch. It is available on Xbox One and PC as well. There is a peculiar control thing that people need to know about because you can't map the buttons. You usually want to go to X and square, right, to shoot and jump. Mm -hmm. But you actually have to go to circle and triangle to shoot and jump. Weird. It feels the same because the, the motion is the same, but you have to move your hand to the outside of the controller for the NES games. And this is to accommodate a consistent control scheme as they get to the SNES and Genesis. And I only really understood that when I started playing the newer games on the collection. So it's annoying and it's going to take a little time to get used to, but it's not a game breaking situation. Right. It's not like a Mega Man co uh, collection on GameCube, which was unplayable. Because they literally inverted the buttons and there was nothing you can do about it. So jump was shoot and shoot was jump. And I couldn't. I literally couldn't play it. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. How Damn. am I supposed to play this? I didn't know that. Yeah. This is a notoriously awful collection. So, yeah, go check out Castlevania Anniversary Collection. But there is one thing to note. Mm -hmm. Paul Murphy wrote into us, said, hey, CNC, Konami has sucked more life out of me than Dracula ever could. Sounds vaguely <laughs> sexual. A little bit. The Castlevania Anniversary Collection is out and it does not have a platinum trophy. Meanwhile, the Arcade Classics Anniversary Collection, also published by Konami, does have a plat. These two collections were made by different teams, but shouldn't Konami somewhere along the line be supervising them to maintain consistency among these different collections? I know I'm beating a dead horse, but shouldn't Sony care more about making actual games have platinums when games like I Am Mayo exist? 
I know many people will choose to play the game on a different platform like the Switch now that there is no Platinum Trophy, and that is why maintaining a good trophy ecosystem does matter. There are many games that face the same problem, and Sony is losing their 30% cut every time someone buys on Switch instead. I totally agree. Many people messaged me that they are buying it somewhere else now because there's no reason to buy it on PS4. That's crazy. And That's so it, interesting. They'll buy it on, PS, on PC or Switch. And when the trophies popped, because I was really excited about it, I, I didn't expect much at most, but when the arcade collection popped, like with Gradius and all those games, I, and they did have a platinum trophy, I was like, oh, okay. So they're going to make a really neat trophy list, just like they actually did with Requiem. Requiem had a really thoughtful trophy list. I loved it. This trophy list sucks. Not only does it not have a platinum, but it's basically you just get one for beating, like a bronze for beating every one of the games. And I, again, I know that this doesn't matter to some people, but it clearly does matter, especially to the people that listen to this podcast. Yeah. And I was reading the message boards on PSN profiles where a bunch of like dozens of people were like, I'm not buying it. Like, I'm not buying it. Not buying it. Just not buying it specifically not, yeah. because of the trophies. Yeah. That's so interesting. So I really do think that that was a huge miss. We were talking about Shakedown Hawaii, which came out a few weeks ago, which is supposed to be really good on Vita and PS4. That also doesn't have a platinum. And that's it's just it's weird. And for me, yeah, it does make me not want to play some of these games because I like the metagame. I, I enjoy the metagame. And I think Konami really dropped the ball because one of the cool things about these re-releases is capturing the essence of the games, yes, but also giving experienced players new things to do. Beat this boss without dying. Beat this boss without getting hit. Do this. Do this. Beat this game in this amount of time. I was so excited for the possibilities, you know, and the possibilities are just not there. It's probably so, just too many games. It, it's honestly, too. it's laziness. They don't want to go into the old code and put triggers into them, well, yeah. you know, and so they just went to the end of every game and put a trigger in. Saying that, yeah, you beat the game, you beat the game, you beat the game, you beat the game, you beat the game. Okay, that's it. Making all these other triggers would have been hard, but Simon's Quest, for instance, would have been so fun with a bunch of different trophies or Castlevania 3 with all the different characters you can find and not find and the different stages and stuff. I don't know. I know that this is a broken record for a lot of people, but it sucks. Yeah, I can't <laughs> argue with it. So you better not. <laughs> Chris, let's get into the news. All righty. There's a lot of news to get through. Actually, I had a when Chris got here today, I had to take a little bit of time because some new stuff even popped up right before we started recording that is relevant to our show. It is a heavy day. It's a heavy flow mm -hmm. of news. <laughs> Number one, it appears that arch rivals Microsoft and Sony are joining forces to develop better cloud based technology for gaming. Word comes by way of a Microsoft press release, which announced Sony and Microsoft are exploring, in quotes, a strategic partnership, end quotes. In regards to, quote, new innovations to enhance customer experiences in their direct-to-consumer entertainment platforms and AI solutions, end quote. The press release continues, quote, under the memorandum of understanding signed by the parties, the two companies will explore joint development of future cloud solutions in Microsoft Azure to support their respective game and content streaming services. In addition, the two companies will explore the use of, cu of current Microsoft Azure data center-based solutions for Sony's game and content streaming services, end quote. Other areas of cooperation include AI and semiconductor development, both key to the respective companies' plans outside of gaming. The news came alongside an image of the company's two CEOs, Kenichiro Yoshida and Satya Nadella, shaking hands. Bloomberg, however, reported later that this deal completely blindsided PlayStation's own internal team. Concerning employees that PlayStation 5 and all of the stuff they're working on in relation to it might be altered. Quote, managers had to calm workers and assure them that the plans for the company's next generation console weren't affected, end quote, the article stated in part. Pretty weird story. Definitely. Ray Briggs wrote into us and said, hey, CNC Gaming Factory, 
What did you think of the news that MS and Sony are partnering to improve cloud gaming and streaming platforms? Specifically, what does this mean, if anything, for Sony and PS Now and Gaikai? Do you think we will continue to see these tech giant companies continue to working together like Microsoft and Nintendo have been doing moving forward? Big fan and patron since day one. Chris, what do you make of this strategic alignment with what they call, well, hold on, I want to find the language, the, what is it? The under the memorandum of understanding. Don't know what that means, Colin. <laughs> That seems like flowery bullshit, yeah. but I, I don't know. I don't think we're going to see much of a change as consumers. I feel like this is all going to be very inside baseball, kind of under the under the framework level stuff. Like, I don't imagine that this is going to be something that the average person is going to be well aware of. I would probably agree with you. I think that for me, I look at it and I read the story and what they say is that this, you know, conversation began last year. Yeah. So. And, and companies don't like this big don't move quickly. I understand that. But it does seem a little conspicuous with timing related to Google Stadia. Oh, for sure. That's it's strategic. Yeah. So I think that there's something obviously to do with that as well, that they're scared. And Sony in particular seems a little frightened. And Microsoft might see this is the thing with publishing Minecraft on all platforms. Like Microsoft's probably fine being like, fine, you can run Azure. Like we're just going to take your money. No. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, <laughs> yeah. It's it seems like a very, you know, it's an agnostic solution, but a lot of people have been talking about the possibilities and stuff. And I really think it's just another example of these companies working together out of necessity because they have yeah. big competitors to deal with and also big things that they need to overcome. Microsoft has a lot of expertise in this in this area. Sony now doesn't have to invest anymore in it. So I don't know. It seems to make sense for me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely it's definitely a reaction to Google uh, because I think it, I think both of them probably think it's better to just partner with two people, two companies that are on the same playing field as opposed to just allowing this new giant to just come in and mop the floor with everything. I think it is definitely more of a strategic thing. But as far as like the consumer side, this is it doesn't mean you're going to get like a Halo game on a PlayStation. This right. is, it has nothing to do with any of that. No, I don't think so. And I actually think that the implications are likely well beyond the scope of Sony Interactive Entertainment. I, I think that. Yeah. And, and this Xbox. is like computers and, yeah. and stuff like that. Like, I, I don't know. They're talking about semiconductors and shit, too. Yeah. This is stuff that is essential to their electronics businesses yeah for sure it's, it was the ceos of both companies it wasn't like the c it wasn't the heads of playstation or xbox it was right. the heads of microsoft and sony right exactly the important note i think but we'll obviously monitor this and maybe this will come up at e3 i don't know yeah maybe number two a major kataka report from jason schreier indicates that the call of duty game plan for next year is undergoing some major upheaval as you know, Call of Duty has been on an annual release schedule for more than a decade, and Activision and its teams have fallen into a predictable rhythm, with Treyarch, Infinity Ward, and Sledgehammer going every third year. 2019's game is from Infinity Ward and is likely a new Modern Warfare game, but 2020's Call of Duty was going to buck the trend somewhat. Sledgehammer would co-develop this game alongside Raven Software, the Activision-owned studio that has been running support on Call of Duty and hasn't released a full game of its own in nearly a decade since 2010's Singularity, which longtime listeners of mine know that I, I actually love Singularity. However, Raven's Call of Duty game, which was to be based in the Cold War, wasn't shaping up. Treyarch is now jumping in, according to Kotaku, to create Black Ops 5 for 2020, thus being responsible for two Call of Duty games in three years, an unprecedented move for Activision's seemingly well-oiled Call of Duty machine. Sledgehammer and Raven, meanwhile, are playing second and third fiddle on the release. Tanner Franklin wrote in and said, Hey, sedentary Colin and silly Chris, I was curious about y'all's take on the new Kotaku report on Raven and Sledgehammer being dropped from Call of Duty 2020. This only gives Treyarch a year to pick up the apparent mess of Raven's game and Frankenstein it into Black Ops 5. Given the lukewarm reception of Black Ops 4, which had a three-year dev cycle, I'm really worried about how this game will shape out. 
Is it time to end the annualization of the series or maybe try a free-to-play model like they've been experimenting with in China? As always, thank you both for making Tuesdays great again. This is a huge story. Yeah. Now, I will say, Tanner, that they're not making the game in a year. They, they have two years to make the game. That's still not any a lot of time to make the game. But Treyarch jumping in is really interesting because this says re- this really doesn't speak well to Sledgehammer. And this really doesn't speak well to Raven. And that's too bad because I was always hoping Raven would get another shot. Singularity is a really good game. And by the way, they also made that X-Men Wolverine's Origins game. Oh, that, and that was a good one. that also great. So they've been making Call of Duty map packs for like 10 years now, but they used to make really good games. And by the way, do you know where Raven is located? They're located in the strangest place. No. They're in Wisconsin. Oh. They're in Wisconsin. And they're up there. I think Hexen and stuff were their original games, but they actually were founded originally as a, I think, like a Quake modding studio that then became a real team. And this this has happened in a few different places, but I've always been fascinated by Raven just being this really quiet, Wisconsin-based, yeah. Activision-owned team that makes Call of Duty stuff. But anyway, the game was taken away from them. Now, Paul, I'm sorry, not, not Paul. You wrote the earlier question. Ray. Nope, you wrote in the earlier question, too. Tanner. That's who we're looking for. Tanner. Now, Tanner, you had said, again, the, the, the year, they have two years, but you did say the lukewarm reception of Black Ops 4. There is something interesting in the article, Chris. I don't know if you read it, that Black Ops 4 sold really well, but then had no tail. That Activision was actually really concerned about the game's long-term viability compared to year-on-year growth of other Call of Duty games. And there are there is some chatter that apparently there is a struggle inside the publisher now to make Call of Duty free or to make like free components of the game and then have like a bunch of other spinoff stuff. And apparently this is like being heavily resisted. So a lot of really interesting stuff there. And an employee of Sledgehammer did reach out to me recently. Someone I know there that gave some clarification on the situation over there. It doesn't sound to me like Sledgehammer really is the one responsible for this. We don't really know that. But an interesting story nonetheless. What do you think? I mean, I I just think this whole thing is weird. I I feel like. I feel like this should have happened sooner, to be honest. It's, It's a miracle to me that they haven't messed up worse than this this has been an annualized franchise for like what over a decade at this point yeah i think almost 15 years actually it's insane and the rhythm i think in the studios began in like 2010 or 2011 so yeah they really have not fucked it up yeah so yeah i, I don't know i agree I with know. you there but i i would have loved to see something from raven i i just i really it was disappointing to read that because they they got the game taken away from them it's it's not it's not that yeah. they released a bad <laughs> a bad game they literally just got it taken away that's not I wonder a what good the sign. state of the game must be then for them to be for them to actually wrestle it out of the hands of a studio. That's got to be kind of insane. Yeah. And I assume that they probably did it now because they're like, listen, it's it. this isn't shaping up. We don't have any time like this needs to go somewhere else. So it must be an interesting struggle, too, because now that Treyarch is leading Treyarch is located actually right here in Santa Monica. Now that they're leading the student, the leading the rush, Sledgehammer and Raven are playing second and third fiddle. I wonder how that plays out politically as well. That must suck. Yeah. To basically be like Raven presumably had a creative directing position there or at Sledgehammer. Now they don't. And so there's interesting stuff going on there that I, I we will certainly track. Yeah. As we move forward. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. 
Number three, Sony Interactive Entertainment, the arm of Sony responsible for PlayStation, is officially launching a film division that will oversee the production of movies based on PlayStation properties. The Hollywood Reporter first reported this news, which notes that the division will be called PlayStation Productions and shepherded by Sony Worldwide Studios, the umbrella that encompasses all of Sony's first party dev teams. Quote, instead of licensing our IP out to studios, we felt the better approach was for us to develop and produce for ourselves, end quote, according to Assad Kizilbash, who will head the initiative. You guys probably know him from the PlayStation Europe initiatives over the past few uh, years, actually longer than that, like a decade. Quote, you can see just by watching older video game adaptations that the screenwriter or director didn't understand that world or the gaming thing. The real challenge is how do you take an 80 hour gameplay experience and make it into a movie? The answer is you don't. What you do is take that ethos you write from there specifically for the film audience. You don't try to retell the game in a movie. And quote, according to Sean Layden, who, of course, is in charge of all of Sony's teams, worldwide studios teams. What do you make of this, Chris? This is really interesting news. This just broke right before we recorded. Yeah. I mean, I don't want any uh, video game movies at all, <laughs> but I think it's a smarter way of going about it than just kind of handing off licenses to people who are very clearly unaffiliated with the, the medium. I think it could be interesting. I don't know. It seems like the right idea if you want to pursue this, but I agree with you, Chris. I don't understand the pursuit of this. There's money to be made there if you do it right, but I don't want to see an Uncharted movie. I don't want to see a Last of Us movie. I don't yeah. want to see a God of War movie. I don't want to see a Days Gone movie. I don't want to see a fucking little Big Planet movie. Maybe they'll make a movie like Dreams where you can make your own movies within a movie. <laughs> yeah. I feel like shows are more appropriate. Yeah, they only you know? did one of them, too. Well, they did The Tester, but then they did that that show Powers. Remember? That I was a PlayStation Network. It was like a PlayStation Network exclusive for two like seasons or whatever yeah. that got canceled. But I agree with you. Like, why not invest in in some content that PS Plus users can get for free or something like that? Yeah, pretty well, interesting. Weird. Yeah, I, I, I actually agree with you. I'd much. I'd be much. I find I would find an Uncharted TV show much friendlier for me for some reason. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it wouldn't be. I don't really know. But we'll keep an eye on that as well. Number four, Nipponichi Software, commonly known as NIS, has been a longtime Japanese supporter of PlayStation platforms, going back to its first PS1 game in 1995. NIS has since been known as one of the most prolific developers and publishers of niche fare on PS3, PS4, and Vita, including games like Danganronpa, and much more. But now it seems like they might be in serious financial trouble, mostly because of the bombing of their Disgaea-themed mobile title in Japan. Disgaea, of course, is the company's most substantial IP, and word out of Japan via website DualShockers is that the company is now seeking what's called a moving strike to raise money, basically a way for them to find new shareholders to fund operations at cut rates. Ironically, ForwardWorks is the team responsible for the botched Disgaea mobile game, a team that Sony actually owns. The game was apparently in such bad shape that it was completely pulled down from Jap Jap for, for Japanese gamers in mid-March, with no word on when it'll go back up. So I read this yesterday at first, and I was shocked because NIS... Is a, is a small little operation, especially in the United States. NIS America is only a few people. They're in Anaheim, I think. Yeah. And they are responsible for all of these really interesting visual novels and action games and this weird Japanese fair. They announced even a few weeks ago that they were going to release Vita games in 2020, which is pretty cool. So I was really shocked and, and I'm saddened by that. NIS is a company that uh, I have a pretty or had a pretty close relationship for a long time with. And they've always, they were always really nice and really interesting. A funny story I'll tell you guys about NIS. One of the times I was in Japan, I went to an NIS presentation. It was all in Japanese. There was supposed to be a translator there, and there wasn't. So I couldn't understand anything they were saying. And one of the NIS America employees literally sat behind me and translated it as it happened to make oh, sure wow. I understood what was going on. They, were, they always went above and beyond. They were always a really interesting team. So anyway, we hope and wish for them the best and hope that this all so gets solved because... Uh, that would be really sad. The PlayStation community would really be much worse off without NIS. And so 
we're wishing them the best. Yeah, it sucks. Number five, publisher Electronic Arts, which already revealed that it is bailing out of its annual E3 press conference alongside Sony, is now scaling back its planned streaming presentations even further. Website PC Games N reports that EA's original streaming plans, which included new game reveals across the weekend of June 8th and 9th, is now only running for one day on Saturday, June 8th. Chris, E3 is getting even smaller and more inconsequential. It is. I'm sad. Or, yeah, you are sad. You and I are, v- are very different minds here. We don't yeah. agree on this at all. No. Because I, I kind of want E3 to go away. <laughs> no, I like it. It's like the closest thing I have to a Super Bowl. Right. But you, you can know? just watch the Super Bowl. I hate the Super Bowl. Oh. I don't give a shit. Unless it's like a New York team, in, this, right. in which case I'll feign interest. Right. You know? Right. I don't know. It's just kind of fun to have like a, 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 at least like a day where like you can get like excited about things. And then you're back in your real life wondering what the hell happened. Right. Thinking that it was all a dream. (laughs) It was all but a dream. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't surprise me that EA pulled out, though. I mean, what do they have, really? Well, my assumption is that they were going to show a bunch of Anthem shit. And that's not going to be ready to go or maybe never even going to happen at all. My assumption is that uh, it was probably just going to be like just sports. Sports and Anthem. And maybe a little bit of uh, what was that uh, respawn game? Maybe. Oh, Jedi Fallen Order. I think that that's going to be a big reveal. Yeah. Yeah. They'll certainly show that. But I think, you know, this ties into the first story or one of the top stories, which was not even a story, actually, about the ESA. We recommended everyone go read at Variety. They were talking about how e- like ESA, because for some reason they run the trade show, which they shouldn't. They're now concerned about this and, and the finances coming in and the, and the truncating of the show. And the more this happens, the, the worse E3 is going to look. Mm hmm. It's not so interesting what's going to happen at E3 this year. What's interesting is what E3 is going to look like next year, because are, is Sony going to come back? Is EA going to come back? Or are others going to scale back? Like, I'm really of the mind that Sony would reveal PS5 and really go all in at PlayStation experience. That, to me, would be a really smart move yeah, to make PSX relevant, highly relevant, and to talk to your audience. Yeah, they're definitely not going to unveil the PS5 at, at E3 next no, year. No, 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 no. It's way too late even in the year to do that if they're if they're planning for a fall. 2020. All I care about at this point is what Xbox is going to do. Well, they're really the main people there. So, yeah, it's and it'll be interesting to see what what happens this year, because it's it's been just a bizarre year in general for these competing companies. Definitely. My assumption, do you think that the new Xbox is going to be at E3? I think it will be. I think that they're going to at least talk about it like in substantial way. They're going to talk about it. I don't think it'll be there. I don't think they're going to announce anything. I think uh, I think it's probably going to be like this is running on next generation hardware. And then Phil Spencer is going to come out with a shirt. Yeah, with one of his shir- like teasing <laughs> one, shirts. Yeah, one of his teaser shirts. With like some, it'll be like a Jet Force Gemini shirt or some shit. <laughs> and then for five years, everyone's like, is Jet Force Gemini coming back? Battletoads. Um, I know. Pretty rough one. Like, you got to get excited about Battletoads. I fucking hate Battletoads. I never liked it either. That game sucks. Oh, I can't take it. Number six. Last week, we reported that Square Enix appeared to be closing up its internal dev studio, Studio Estolia, leaving its game project Prelude Ruined in Jeopardy. As you'll recall, longtime Tales producer Hideo Baba left his post at Bandai Namco to lead this new team, though he's since quit Square Enix. Then last week, Square Enix began scrubbing the team from social media and other online venues. In a statement released to website Polygon, Square Enix confirmed that the team, founded in 2017 and yet to release a game, is no more. It appears the entire staff has been reallocated to other teams. All that's left of Project Prelude Rune is a lone trailer. So pretty sad stuff. They they apparently even pulled all the trailers down, so you need to go find mirrors of them. Damn, that but really sucks. That's unbelievable, man. I really want to know more about what happened. Hideo Baba was at Bandai Namco forever produced all of the Tales games, then left to create what looked like a Tales game at Square Enix. Even the team's name, Estolia, sounds like a fucking Tales game. Tales of Estolia. And, and then they're making this game. And then something happened. 
It's kind of wild. What happened? At least they got reallocated and not fired, unless that's what that means. No, I think that you in Japan, you can't easily fire people. I think that that's a whole thing. Like, you yeah. can't shut teams down and lay people off and shit. There's all these rules, yeah. That's silver lining, I guess. Yeah, so I think that they're all fine in other teams. Yeah, they could be lying, but I don't think so. But yeah, I wonder. I know you're not a JRPG guy, but I am, and I was really quite intrigued by this because mm-hmm. Square Enix has been investing very strategically in a really bunch of interesting role-playing games. They, they invested in Tokyo RPG Factory, which gave us I Am Setsuna, which I think is amazing. They are investing in stuff like, uh, well, it was on Switch and now it's coming to PC, which is the Octopath Traveler yeah. game. And, you know, they're investing in this. They were investing in this Tolia alongside Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest games and the bigger stuff. So it's kind of disappointing because I was like, well, what was it? Like, they're also kind of be? they're also kind of fucking up a lot, especially, well, with, especially with this this FF7 thing. Yeah, indeed. We still have no answers about that. No. Except that we know it's... I just love that they confirm that it's episodic. If I were them, I'd be like, we have no confirmation on anything. Just fucking leave us alone. And we'll, and, and and then I would have been like, well, we will leave you alone, but you shouldn't have announced the game yeah. in 2015. It's 2019. This is now turning into another Final <laughs> Fantasy 13 versus situation for you. Could have been avoided. Could have very easily been avoided, actually. Number seven. Publisher Ubisoft is reporting fantastic sales figures for some of its biggest games, has four AAA games on the docket for the next year, and yet is also delaying the full reveal yet again of its long-awaited game Skull and Bones. For starters, website VG247 relays word that Far Cry 5 and Rainbow Six Siege are both cleaning up for the publisher. Far Cry 5 is officially Ubisoft's best-selling game of the entire generation, according to the company's latest financial report. While Rainbow Six Siege, which launched back in 2015, has surpassed a billion dollars in lifetime revenue. $1 billion in lifetime revenue. Siege, in particular, has grown year-on-year yet again with its 45 million players, up 40% since the last annual report. That's insane. (laughs) Really, really fascinating. Meanwhile, IGN relays word that the report also indicates four AAA games will be released by the publisher of by the publisher by March of 2020, and that the three of them are still unannounced. One of them is Ghost Recon Breakpoint, which we talked about last week. Rumors heavily indicate that one of the three unannounced games is Watch Dogs 3, and it stands to reason that another one of the unannounced games is another Tom Clancy title, perhaps Splinter Cell. <sighs> Unfortunately, not all is well, as Skull and Bones has been verified to not be one of the games out by March of 2020. Initially revealed at E3 2017, Skull and Bones will skip E3 this year as well, indicating that the game's development hasn't been smooth. That said, the dev team did release a short video on Twitter explaining the game's game's prolonged dark period and promising to come out on the other end with a game worth showing off. Skull and Bones, for people that don't know, is that really cool, like, ship-to-ship combat, like, pirate game. Yeah. It looks kind of like that Sea of Thieves, but, like, really good. It looks like Sea of Thieves, but realistic and with a little bit of Black Flag in there. Definitely inspired by the Assassin's Creed games. Like, without a doubt. I thought it was. Like, I saw it at E3, I think. Or at PAX or one of these places. And I remember thinking, like, they're, they're putting on another pirate Assassin's Creed that's wild. Wouldn't it it be looks cool? shockingly similar. But wouldn't it be cool if it was a pirate Assassin's Creed game that literally all took place on the sea as opposed to, like, the Black Flag and some of the others that, like, where it was... It would have been cool to be like, this assassin is a, is literally just a pirate in the Caribbean and you're just taking ships over and shit. I will say, I think cool. it was Assassin's Creed 3 that introduced the ships, maybe? Anyway... Uh, you are correct. I think so. You're correct. And I remember playing them being like, this is fucking cool. This is actually in a cool part of the game. And then they finally obviously expanded on it. And yeah, so I think you're right. Skull and Bones was the obvious like result of that. But not Assassin's Creed branded, I don't think. No. But nonetheless needs more time. I do appreciate them being forthcoming about it because they've been been so weird about Beyond Good and Evil 2 and 
Yeah, know, yeah. Or were they going to do Child of Light again and all that? So it's cool for them to be a little a little more literal. I appreciate that. Chris, this next one's for you. Yes, it is. Number eight, it appears publisher THQ Nordic, owners of scores of IP with purportedly dozens of games currently in development. That's not facetious, by the way. No. Is teasing two unannounced games with appointment schedulers for E3. Both demos are being teased as hands off, according to website Gaming Bolt. The first game is described as, quote, the long awaited return of a galactically beloved game slash franchise, end quote. While the second game is being teased as, quote, a new vision of a beloved game slash franchise, end quote. THQ Nordic owns the publishing and development rights to the likes of Destroy All Humans, Red Faction, and Time Splitters, all of which could be the first tease. While the second one is nebulous enough that it could be almost anything, though it's worth noting that THQ Nordic owns very little, by the way, of beloved franchises. Yeah. <laughs> so I looked at this, Chris. I was thinking uh, it probably is Destroy All Humans. I think it is Destroy All Humans, but it could be Time Splitters. It could and be it could Time be Red Faction. I don't think it's Red Faction. I think it's de- it definitely has a strong chance of being Time Splitters. But if it's a Destroy All Humans game, I'm going to scream. I'm going to scream for years. I think it is. I think a lot of, you know, I don't know much about Destroy All Humans, but in reading about it and kind of feeling around, it seems like a lot of people do think that's what it is. So I was shocked because I tweeted about it. I was like screams in, in Furon, which is like the, the the alien like species that he is. And like it got a surprising amount of like engagement. Oh, I didn't cool. think it would. I was like, what? People remember this? Yeah, actually. Weird. I actually texted you when I saw this because I was like, oh, Chris, ha- I, I, Chris has to know about this. Yeah. I would love to. Well, Time Splitters was an acquisition they made more recently. And you remember that Time Splitters, we haven't gotten a Time Splitters game in over 10 years, I don't think. There was a Time Splitters game on PS3 that was canceled, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I, I, I'm leaning on it being Destroy All Humans for the, sa- for the sole reason that I, I don't think. I don't think it would be the wisest thing to put out an FPS right now. Yeah. <laughs> or anytime kind of in the near future, especially given it's THQ Nordic, it's not going to be some high polished thing. I'd be shocked if they went and be like, hey, let's compete with Halo Infinite and the new Call of Duty and every single other FPS that is going to be objectively great. You know, like, I don't know. I agree. I agree. I think Red Faction is the weakest of those three options. And I'm I'm wondering, could the second game they were teasing again, they teased. Let's see. They teased the galactically beloved game and franchise, and then they just teased the new vision of a beloved game and franchise. Maybe it's Saints Row. Maybe. I guess that is a beloved series. They did I do that. Closest. Method, what did they do? That Mayhem game that was a Saints Row spinoff last year. It was not Methods Agents of Mayhem. Of Agents, Agents, Agents of, of Mayhem. Mayhem. Methods of Mayhem is like a rap rock man. <laughs> a- Agents of Mayhem. Yeah. And I didn't play that. No, I didn't either. I didn't know it was out. I haven't played a Saints Row game in a long time. But yeah, so maybe it's a return to Saints Row. They do own. The fuck is the team that makes Saints Row? I can't even think of it off the top of my head. But they, they do own that team. That yeah. was one of the things that they did acquire immediately when they got the THQ name. So. Yeah, maybe maybe it's that. If I don't it, know. If it's Straw Humans, it'll be yet another example of me saying something and it uh, coming true. So Splinter Cell, Splinter Cell, Splinter Cell, please. So, yeah, exactly. You're you are becoming a predictive force. I'm doing pretty good. Doing a pretty good job, Colin. Yeah, you are. You are. Not doing to toot my own horn, but I will. Now I'm looking really quick here. I just want to. I want to look because I, I, it's it's on the tip of my tongue. Who developed Saints Row? Who developed it? Where is the like? I just asked for a wiki. Just give me a fucking wiki. <laughs> is it Volition. There it is. Jesus Volition. Christ. There are people screaming at their at their radio for like two minutes. Radio. Radio. Yeah. <laughs> ah! Sorry about that, guys. All right, Chris, let's move on with the news. All right. We're almost through. We're almost through, but not quite. Number nine. If a few recent moves are any indication, it appears that Sony is indeed stepping up its approach to censoring content it deems sexually inappropriate from games published on its platforms. A new move for a publisher that was once wide open to such titles. 
For starters, Push Square reports that Koei Tecmo is removing two items from the PS4 version of Dead or Alive Extreme 3 Scarlet, while those goods will remain in the Nintendo Switch version of the game. Apparently, there's some skimpy outfits or whatever. That's insane that it's being removed from the PlayStation and allowed on Nintendo. Gets crazy. That's wild. Gets crazier. And Gotaku reports that Omega Labyrinth Life, which is a port of a 2015 Vita game coming to both PS4 and Switch, will experience content edits on one, but not the other. Interestingly, as a result of the censorship, the PS4 version of the game in Japan will be nearly $20 cheaper when it launches. One of the features of the game removed from the PS4 version is a minigame called Paper Rock Scissors Boobs. <laughs> now, I found the Omega Labyrinth thing peculiar because it is a port yeah. of a game that already exists on a PlayStation platform. It's on the Vita. So are they retroactively going to go to the Vita version from 2015 and also edit that out? I'm not saying that this stuff is in good taste, but... We were talking about the trophies, right, of of Castlevania Collection and how people are buying the game on Switch. Lots of people have reached out to me and said, I'm buying the Switch version yeah. because of this. Now people are going to be buying the Switch version of these games because of this. People are playing Omega Labyrinth and those kinds of games for this shit. So if you're removing it, then yeah. they're, you know, I'm not saying That's that PlayStation is necessarily wrong. I'm just like, what? Who's complaining about this? I don't this? know, man. It, and now Nintendo, I, who wouldn't even allow fucking religious imagery in their games until like 10 years ago. You know, is now gonna is now gonna allow. It's 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 pretty it's pretty wild. I don't know the nature of these games, so I can't speak to like whether or not it's justified to censor them. Uh, but I don't know, man. It, it seems I feel really weird that we're so skittish about sexual themes in, in video games that we're totally fine murdering masses of innocent people. It makes no sense. I want to play paper rock scissors boobs. Yeah. And now I'm not gonna be able to play. It's probably arguably more wholesome than Mortal Kombat is. <laughs> Isn't there a whole article about like people at uh, at that studio having like PTSD from having to look at like car crash victims and shit just to get like eh. yeah it's interesting interesting I, job it, yeah for sure I mean I, if you're working there I can't say that you, you should be shocked I would love to get PS, PTSD from playing paper rock scissors boobs though yeah can you imagine I'm interested to know what that game's all about wake up in a cold sweat <laughs> boobs boobs <laughs> I'll just remind you again that I've reviewed some of these perverted Vita games when I was at IGN and monster mod piece you guys got to still go look up that game that game is just <laughs> I had to play that on the train and like in the office I'm sitting there with the P the Vita like vertical of rubbing it you oh, know like no. oh no I was like, I can't play this in public. I think I actually said that in the review. I'm like, you can't play this game in public. You can't do it. Number 10. <laughs> you can't play this Vita game in public. <laughs> Developer 4A Games and publisher Deep Silver have finally revealed plans for story-related DLC coming to Metro Exodus in the form of a so-called expansion pass roadmap. By the way, I love that. That is just a, that is a fucking ad lib. Expansion pass roadmap. It's a video game. It's a video game. Analog. 4A is planning the release of two separate DLC experiences, one coming this summer and the other coming in early 2020. The first piece of DLC, DLC is called The Two Colonels, while the second is called Sam's Story. There's no word yet on what the cost of the DLC will be, both as individual downloads and as a combined package. It's also unclear if you need the game to play these DLC packs or not. I assume you do. That's just typically how DLC works. right? Yeah. Uh, the only company that's really decent about that is Sony and also, to a lesser degree, Bethesda. They're pretty good about that, too. Oh, because you Like, could... the Wolfenstein spinoffs, you don't need the Wolfenstein game. Infamous spinoff, you didn't need the Infamous game. But that's games. a spinoff. It's not DLC. Right, but they're, they're, that's true, but they kind of are. They're like these small, few-hour experiences. Yeah, I guess so. It's a similar kind of idea. It, it is. I think it would be cool to release shit that you don't need on the disc. I, no, yeah. I think that that's attractive. Like, if, if I were a, a consumer, I have Metro Exodus, but and I bought it, but I, it's just sitting in my library. But if I didn't buy it and I knew that that DLC was available, I probably would be like, oh... That's just a nice thing that you're making that. And maybe I'll buy the whole package. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's you know something a lot of people would do, but whatever. Number 11 is a wrap up, Chris. 
Website Gamatsu reports that arcade remake Toki is finally coming to PS4 on June 6th and that free-to-play RBG Caravan Stories is PS4 bound on July 23rd with an open beta occurring a week prior. And the PlayStation blog reports that card-based game Golem Gates is coming to PS4 on May 28th and that the old-school-inspired platform Effie, which looks pretty cool, is coming to PS4 on June 4th. That was a quick wrap-up. That's all of the wrap-up news. That's all the news we have. Chris, it is time for new game releases. And boy, uh, howdy, are there some good ones in here. Would you like to go first or second? I guess I'll go first. What the hell is this, though? Yep. Uh, <laughs> alternate Jake Hunter Daedalus, The Awakening of Golden Jazz. Yes. Yes. <laughs> comes to PS4. <laughs> a new chapter begins in the detective... D oh. Jinguiji? Jinguiji, mm. I would Take say. Take this. I can't do this. This is already, like, frustrating. Alternate Jake Hunter Daedalus, The Awakening of Golden Jazz. By the way, Dustin, leave all of that in. Comes to <laughs> PS4. A new chapter begins in the detective Jinjui Saburo series. Jinguiji. One month after... One month ago today, someone murdered Saburo's grandfather, Kiyosuke, well, he was living in New York. He soon discovers that his grandfather's last word was Daedalus. What does it mean? Why was my grandfather killed? Daedalus, of course, is a reference to Resistance 2. And I assume that that was what he was referring to. It is a PlayStation crossover. Chris, you can go from there. So that's just Citizen Kane. Basically, yeah. Neat. American Fugitive comes to PS4. A modern take on classic sandbox action. Framed for your father's murder, you'll need to do whatever it takes to unveil the real culprit. Tackle thrilling missions for the criminal underworld. Just don't let the cops track you down. Set in the deep, set in the deep south of the of, of the 80s, American Fugitive is a love letter to the, to the classic movies and games of old. Wow, you were doing it really solid for a little while. And yeah, then you kind of fell apart bit. there a little yeah. bit. Back in 1995 comes to PS4 and Vita. A throwback to the survival horror and mystery games of the mid-90s 32-bit generation, back in 1995, faithfully recreates everything from this all-but-forgotten era of games. Explore a sparse cityscape in the year 1995 littered with clues about the past. Uncover the mystery of yourself, your daughter, and what happened to the city. Now, nice wrap-up. The game looks pretty cool, too. I want to play it. But recreates everything from this all-but-forgotten era of games. What universe yeah, right? do you live in where the mid-90s and the 32-bit era is a forgotten <laughs> you era forgot of games? all about it. Yeah, no one ever talks about those games. <laughs> <laughs> Dauntless comes to PS4. As a slayer, you are all that stands between your world and the behemoths that seek to devour it. Take on boss-sized monsters. Boss-sized. Forge powerful weapons and craft armor from the very creatures you slay, all in a massive, free-to-play online world. I've actually played this on PC. Yeah, good. It's not bad. It's definitely one of those kind of kill-time kind of things. It's, right. like, it's definitely a podcast game. Take on boss-sized monsters. Yeah, I do take umbrage with that because... The greatest boss in, of course, Shovel Knight is Tinker Knight, who's but a little man. Yeah, exactly. I think my boss was my height at Sears, you know? Yeah, you could have taken him. Yeah, it's fine. I'm my own boss. <laughs> now I'm fat. I ate an entire box, an entire box of Lucky Charms a few nights ago. A few nights ago, like yeah. in one sitting? Yeah. Well, I ate four-fifths of it that night, and then I woke up the next morning and ate the rest of it. <laughs> four-fifths. I like how specific you are with it. It was really not good. No. And also, well, it was good at the time, but afterwards, my brother had told me this lie. This just straight up lie. He told you it was healthy and you just no, believe that's it. I wouldn't even believe that. <laughs> he told me that Frankenberry and Booberry, which are amazing cereals in the Count Dra Count Dra or Count Chocula's family. Yeah, that they're available all year. And I'm like, no, Dagan, they're not. They're only available at Halloween. He's like, dude, they're available all year. So I got was really stoned the other night at like 11 at night. And I'm like, I really want Booberry or Frankenberry. Didn't think twice about it. Walked to Vaughn's. They didn't have shit, you know, and so, I had to get lucky, and, and so I had to get lucky. Well, I looked and they're only selling cases from like the last allocation. They are indeed not in production. right? Well, 
So that was a complete lie. What the hell are we talking about? Is it my turn? I think so. I think okay. you're on Dollhouse. Dollhouse comes to PS4. This haunting horror game draws you into the mysterious atmosphere of film noir. Delve deep into the mind of Marie, a detective trying to unravel the secrets of her past memory by memory. Use the focus feature to see through the eyes of your pursuer as you try to survive a suspenseful game of cat and mouse. That sounds pretty neat, actually. Yeah. There's too many games that sound okay that I'll simply never play and never even think about again, in fact. Yeah. That's one of them. Dragon Fantasy Volumes of Westeria comes to PS4. Experience an all-new old adventure. Fight your way through hordes of strange, silly, and scary monsters. Explore the caves, castles, and dungeons of an ancient evil. Meet warriors, princes, pirates, zombies, and crazy old woodsmen in a huge world of epic retro RPG adventure. So I'm a little confused what this is. There are two Dragon Fantasy games already. Dragon Fantasy 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. They were on PS3 Vita, and I think maybe came to PS4 at some point. I don't know if this is a compilation of them or if this is a new game because it's called volumes of wisteria the other ones are called book one and book two so i'm wondering if it's a compilation of those old games it it could be Uh, i don't know so definitely look into that if you're interested it does say an all new old adventure so maybe it does kind of harken back to like a it's a collection of some kind i I actually know the guy that made or one of the guys that made that game too he was married to someone that worked at ign with me a long time ago like as a sales girl or some shit oh weird and so he developed yeah i don't know it was a weird game he was developing on the side i maybe it did well everybody's golf vr comes to psvr step on the course like never before in the most immersive everybody's golf experience yet Swing for the f- swing for the flag with your PS Move motion controller or DualShock 4 wireless controller. Play through three incredible courses. Practice your putting on the green or tee off at the driving range to perfect your swing. This is supposed to be really good, by the way. And I also don't understand why they're suddenly calling it everybody's golf. So, yeah, I was a little confused about why they got that name in the in the States, because it's always been called Hot Shots Golf here. Even on the Vita, there was a launch game called Hot Shots Golf that was called Everybody's Golf in Japan. So. Now they're just calling it everybody's golf. All right. Well, good for them, I guess. Strong brand recognition for everybody's golf. Everybody's golf to the rapture. I guess. I, I don't I don't know. It's funny because Hot Shots Golf did have, sig- I don't want to say significant, but pretty substantial play on PSP in particular, I think. I think I remember Vita. it on PSP. So, I don't know. Maybe they just are abandoning that, that particular IP. All right. It's your turn. Observation comes to PS4. Observation is a sci-fi thriller uncovering what happened to Dr. Emma Fisher and the crew of her mission through the lens of the station's artificial intelligence, Sam. Players assume the role of Sam by operating the station's control systems, cameras, and tools to assist Emma in discovering what is happening to the station, the vanished crew, and Sam himself. Whoa. Skelly Celeste comes to PS4. Prophecy (laughs) foretells that one day hell shall, shall runneth over and the evil dead will spill onto the earth. Skelly Celeste is a score attack slash dash run and gun that places players in the skeletal shoes of a heavenly keeper. Take on procedurally generated gauntlets of Hellspawn and defeat the sinful horrors that lurk in the depths of hell. Love that name. It's a great name. Skelly Celeste. <laughs> it is pretty good. Slay the Spire comes to PS4. Slay the Spire is an energetic fusion of card games and roguelikes. Choose your cards wisely. Craft a unique deck. Encounter bizarre creatures. Discover relics of immense, of immense power and make your way up. Uh, the ever-changing Spire. Team Sonic Racing comes to PS4. Team Sonic Racing combines the best elements of arcade and fast-paced competitive racing. Face off with friends or race together across stunning worlds, sharing power-ups and speed boosts. Choose from three distinct character types and unlock game-changing vehicle customization options to suit your racing style. Well, look at that. Car races are making a... I've actually heard this is really good. What, the... The, t- the team, team Sonic, the, t- oh. the Sonic racing games are apparently like super good, well, like objectively. I'll leave it. I can get you a copy if you want. Yeah, I mean, fine. I'll talk to Sega. Sega. 
The Last Door Complete Edition comes to PS4. Uh, feel what it's truly like to be alone in the dark with this low-res, high-suspense, point-and-click horror I know adventure. what it's really like. Thank you. <laughs> the Complete Edition includes eight terrifying episodes investigating Victorian England's deepest, darkest secret, featuring new scenes and puzzles, enhanced graphics, unlockable extras, and remastered sound. Interesting. And finally, virtual virtual reality comes to PSVR. Put on a VR headset in VR to dive into nested worlds and escape your AI manager, Chaz. I, lo- I love that. I think that's I awesome. love the name, Chaz. Activitude, the virtual labor system, assures that, you're, that your artisanal human companionship is still highly valued by our AI clients, even if their requests seem eclectic. Feeling destructive? Vacuum away realities with your Activitude, Activitude brand poly cleanup tool. I don't know about any of that, but I love the name virtual virtual reality. And I love the game being putting on a headset and being in virtual reality in virtual reality. Yeah, I think that's fucking hilarious. They did that in one of the uh, one of the Rick and Morty games, I think, where you had to put on VR goggles. Interesting. Oh, uh, was that virtual Rick? Rick set. What is it, Rickality? It was either virtual Rickality or I don't know how many of them there are. I think there's only one, maybe. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. It was a Rick and Morty VR game, but you do that kind of. That sounds cool. So of consequence, what do you think? I think I've heard really good things about Team Sonic Racing from people that I uh, trust. I've uh, Slay, the, Slay the Spire is a popular game that a lot of people on PC like. So if you're into card games, I guess I don't know. Cool. Yeah, everybody's golf. If you're looking for a PSVR game, and I know some of you are, the only Vita release is back in 1995. I don't know if it's one of those bullshit platinum releases. If it is, I won't. I refuse to play those games. Just on principle, I just won't play them. I won't buy mm-hmm. them. I don't want to support them. And ironically, that publisher is one of the only publishers that just sends me codes for everything without me asking. And I'm like, <laughs> why do I have to have this relationship with you of all people? Yeah. You know, I'm like out here, out here in the woods trying to get fucking <laughs> games. And you guys are sending me all the shit I don't want to play. Thanks. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Chris, let's get into the reader mail. All righty. We don't call it reader mail. I mean, I don't even know why we're calling it reader mail. No one reads. It sounds fine. It's fine. It sounds good. Chris, as usual, we end our show with eight questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience. Remember, if you support us on patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, you can get early ad-free access to the show, but also the ability to post in the weekly thread where I pull these questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from. We'll start with Sergio DeVivo, who wrote a question regarding Final Fantasy VII Remake's trophies. With it being confirmed episodic release, how will this affect the trophy system in the game? Does that automatically mean there will be no platinum trophy? I can think that would be a huge blunder on Square Enix's part. Could it be possible that only once you get all the trophies of all episodes, you get a plat a la, tele, a la Telltale Games? Or could it be that each episode being each length of a full game as per Square Enix could have its own platinum trophy? Can't imagine Final Fantasy VII Remake Episode One being 60 hours to 100% for a measly 10 or so trophies. That would be a Hitman level fucking mess. Haven't really heard anyone talk about Final Fantasy VII's trophies, so I thought I'd write into my favorite podcast to discuss this nerdy shit that matters to us in the Sacred Symbols community. Thank you. Great question. Good question, yeah. My assumption is that because Square Enix is saying that they're really long episodes, they, they did say, I don't know if they've reiterated it, but they, they did say back in the day that each episode is the length of a full game. Now, I will make fun of this again by because they did originally also say that Final Fantasy VII is too big to remake. And I'm like, 
What does that mean? Is that, are you indicating that Final Fantasy VII is bigger than Final Fantasy XV, which you just released? The fuck are you talking about? So that makes no sense. So with that said, I take everything Square says about this with a grain of salt. Yeah. But if I were going to be guessing, I would say that it will have a platinum trophy uh, per episode. And that since the episodes will probably be separated by years, it's not going to be a telltale situation where the trophies are already loaded in and you're just waiting, you know, X amount of time to unlock them. I don't because I don't think they're going to know yeah. what the trophies are going to be. In a different reality where this game uh, exists and, and actually releases, it will have platinum trophies uh, per release. <laughs> I'm with you, by the way, where I don't believe it's coming out. <laughs> I don't think it's coming out. I really I there's so I have so little faith. I don't even care about it, whether or not it comes out. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, like I'm not a JRPG person, but I, I just have no reason to believe that it'll come out I'm play- after all this i'm playing the odds here chris i have never or very rarely looked stupid when square enix says final fantasy 15 this final fantasy 7 remake this kingdom hearts this every time i say that i'm like no no i don't believe you no they're like it's coming out here and i said no over and over again i look i look like a fucking genius so i have nothing to lose <laughs> by saying that final fantasy 7 remake will not come out right like what do i have to lose I, I've been I've been right way more than wrong yeah, by just the questioning chance, everything they do. And on the off chance that the, it does come out, it will not be finished. Yeah, they'll just it'll just be the, be the Midgar episode, section. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Tony Colton wrote into us and said, "Hey, Colin and Chris, recently something has been bugging the shit out of me. Why the fuck do games load up and have a screen that says press X just to bring you to the main title screen? This press X screen is totally pointless and a waste of time." Why can't these games just load to the main screen instead of wa- main menu screen instead of wasting my time? Am I missing something here? Is there a perfectly good reason for this goddamn screen? I take umbrage with this question. Oh, please. Because this is just press start again. It's just press start. This has been a thing for decades in video games. That's true. It's just press start again. It's not it's not a, it's not like a new thing or like it's not like a surprising like new trend. Right. You know, this That's has been interesting. in yeah. the DNA of games since probably Mario actually. That's true, because when you press start with Mario, it then brings you to another menu asking you if you want to play with one or two players. If yeah. you press start in Castlevania, it asks if you want to put in a password. Galaga, like yep. a, a, all these old games. Like, this is nothing That's new. a great point. I am with him, though. Well, because sometimes there are these beautiful sla- splash screens. I, what came to mind for me initially was The Last of Us. That splash screen or the screen, like the, the start screen is like the is like that beautiful, like the, the leaves over the counter and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a like yeah. really beautiful shot. And then you press a button and then it goes into the menus. I kind of understand that from an aesthetic point of view because it's getting you into the experience. But I kind of do agree with Tony. Like, why not just boot the game up and bring me to exactly where I'm going to end up anyway? Like, if there's no way for me not to end up at this menu screen, then why are you putting a barrier in front of it? I'm not saying that it's new. You're right about that. But it is a little bit annoying. I don't know if it's annoying. I think it's just tradition of just how these things have traditionally happened. I I like the clean kind of splash screens, you know? My bigger kind of conundrum here, and I'm surprised he didn't say this, is... Why does it say press a certain button when I can press any button? And then there are games that say press, press any, any button, button but yeah. I hate when they say that. So <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's like, I just like when it says like press a button. I hate when it says like press X and I press circle and it works anyway. Like it's just that, that to me annoys me a little bit more. I miss press start, man. I miss, I don't like this options shit. Yeah, press I, the I hate the way they did that. Like I think on Xbox it's like view or menu or something and it's not start anymore. I don't like this. I missed start. Bring back start. Bring yeah. back press start. I wonder if they're going to. Uh, they're not going to. I don't think. No. But I wonder if they. I wonder it's if that's dumb. considered. Like everyone wants to just be a little bit different. And since start and select were on Nintendo controllers first, I think people just started being like, well, we're kind of copying them. You know, just like you can't copy the Nintendo D-pad. That's a, that's a trademark or a patent. Is it? Yeah. You you can't. What's you'll, so special? You'll about notice the... you'll notice that no official D-pad on any platform has the full plus sign, because that is a patent. 
the 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 d-pad on a playstation what? controller is four buttons what the hell yeah sure you can go look it up and I, that's so that's why because everyone's like why would you have a new d-pad it's like because you can't you literally aren't allowed the, to use that that perfect d-pad the elite the xbox one elite controller has a plus yeah it's smaller i guess weird yeah i never even thought of that yeah you can go read about it. it's really interesting yeah stuff. that's fascinating all right well yeah Bring it back, bring it back anyway. Because I don't think it's only about the shape of it. I think it's about the way the buttons work. Like, yeah, because PlayStation's are more like arrows, right? But also, I think like they have a patent on like sixteen directional D pad or something, or thirty two bit directional D pads or something. I, I don't. I have Weird. no idea. Yeah, there's a there's a specific reason why that that doesn't appear on other controllers. Right. Very interesting, and it makes sense. Yeah, but they don't own Start and Select. No, but those are buttons. Like, I think that they were able to patent, like, a D like think about when the NES controller came out. Yeah, that was kind of like everyone's like, what the fuck is that? Like, you can use like the you can roll your thumb over this this thing and it's the same as using a joystick i mean that was a revolution so i i think that it makes sense from that for sure yeah but the patent for that would be up by now so i think that they've just repatented new things anyway you guys maybe i'm wrong you guys go look into it but i don't think i am i'm very rarely wrong but once in a while i'm wrong but very rarely (laughs) very rarely jared delbridge wrote into us chris he said hey both love the podcast and hope you are both doing well i'm doing well i think chris is fine yeah i'm doing all right I have a question about games journalism and whether and wonder whether Colin, with your extensive experience in that side of the industry, can help me with this. I also greatly welcome Chris's opinion. Also, not to pick sides. <laughs> so we're not your parents, so you don't have to worry about that. My question is about the use of data, be it quali- quantitative or qualitative in its nature, and how well it could be implemented in the reporting of the industry by journalists. Do you think there is a place for the analysis of data by games journalists? And do you believe that the potential insights this could provide would be worth exploring? The idea came up after seeing the traditional journalism and sites such as 538 have used such ideas in creating interesting dialogues around the elections. Keep up the amazing work on the podcast and making Tuesdays great again. Jared, the reason I picked your question was because you brought up 538, which is a, a website I absolutely love and one of the only political podcasts that i actually listen to too they're all data driven and it's really quite interesting chris how do you feel about the this really goes into kind of the status of games journalism generally but he's talking about quantitative and qualitative data and basically that there's a place there's a niche at least for people to really get into data and really like do diving into actual numbers and actual statistics i wonder if you agree that there is a place for that in our industry oh sure of course is the question like should there be more of it or like yeah he says here could the potential insights provided be worth exploring? Yeah, I think so. I think so, too. I think and I, I don't mean this to be mean, but I think a lot of it because I'm not really like up to snuff on some of this stuff, too, is I just think that most game journalists are simply ill equipped to do this, like to to write in a detailed way. Like you're asking them to go read a Bloomberg report where they have no financial understanding at all, yeah. for instance, or you're asking them to read financial documents like I read that stuff. I used to read that stuff and pour through it at IGN. And I really had to learn a lot about business to you know, like EB, what is it, EBITDA and all that kind of stuff about how like you EBITDA, I think is. The, I don't know what the hell. It's like a it's like a thing where it's like that I'd be hopelessly act- lost in that environment. I'd be the, like, I don't know what the hell this is. I'm not a data a data, a data analyst. You it, know what I mean? I think that that means the sum of like the money made after all expenses and yeah. shit like that. And it's like about a, a more meritization or whatever. I don't even know. The I feel like there would have to be a site that would that would need to recruit like people who are not only interested in the games industry, but are also data analysts. And I'm not sure how big of a crossover that really has. Sure. You know I also I mean? think you're absolutely right there. And I also think another major component of this, Chris, that's missing is that the publishers are just not that forthcoming with interesting data. Like, yeah, they, they put if they're publicly traded, they have to release financial data, which they do. But you'll, you guys will remember if you've been with me for a long time, we used to carefully track Vita sales as best we could. And then Sony started combining PSP and Vita sales to make Vita sales look higher. So it immediately like ruin the data and that the data is over. Like there's no data that we have that could possibly 
be garnered to make sense of that. There's a lot of guarded data. Right. For we sure. don't know how much Xbox One has sold since 2014. We have no idea. No. Like, no idea. There's, and if you read, like, educated guesses, including my own, they range from, like, 35 million to, like, 60 million. That's useless. You know what I mean? That, when, you're, when you have a range, like, that's fucking useless. So I think that uh, another major thing, Chris, that we have to talk about if we're talking about this question, which I think, Jared, I think it's an interesting question, is just that we're also in a, in a place where... In politics, 538 is able to do that because, A, they're able to hire their own pollsters and, and do their own data search. But also, everyone's releasing all their numbers and everyone's leaking shit all the time. It just doesn't happen that way in games. So I just don't know that there's data. There, the data exists. Those people work at these companies. Oh, for sure. But as far Microsoft as... Microsoft knows how many Xboxes have been right, sold. Exactly. But as far as like sharing that with the world so we can do like some real deep dives, it's just... It's just, unfortunately, the industry doesn't work like that. But I do think there is a place for it. But hey, remember, if you guys want to see this kind of stuff, then go read and click on stories that are similar. That's why I wanted to bring up Brian Crescente's Variety story earlier, because, you know, his, his initiative clearly failed. Variety's not even going to be covering games anymore after E3. But go click on it and show people that you care. Maybe that will be, you know, send some positive signals that will get more interesting deep dives. Yeah, for sure. Do you think that they, we don't have any data specifically because it's a product? That it pertains to and not like politics where it's like you don't really have a product in politics. You're not losing sales in politics. Maybe. I, I think it is. I think it is because it's a product. But I also think I think I don't want to say PlayStation. The video game industry for some reason is way more guarded about specific data points than any other industry. Like like parallel industry, whether it's the movies or TV, whether it's even technology. Yeah. God, Apple tells talks about fucking everything they sell and, and you have up to the date data on all of it. But if you ask PlayStation, Play, the only reason PlayStation constantly talks about how much PS4 is selling is because it's selling well. You know, when PS3 was not selling well, you never heard anything about <laughs> yeah. it. And, <laughs> yeah, and, no, that's, and that's the point I'm, I'm talking. And, and it's the same thing with Xbox. We got Xbox 360 numbers constantly. Oh, yeah. Every then, year. Yeah. I remember every single E3, they had some stupid slideshow and I was always annoyed. I would love for them to finally say how many have so how many Xbox ones have sold. Like, I don't think you should be ashamed if the number is like 40 million. I, I think that's totally respectable. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of units. So I don't know that they ever will. But anyway, I think it's a point well taken. But I think, Jared, we're just missing not only the professional people that we would need with the education we would need that can make, by the way, a lot more money just working internally at Sony and, and crunching numbers for them. But also because yeah. we have no data. Like, where is the data? We have none. You know, we're, we're constantly guessing, which sucks. Jason Billingsley wrote into us and said, will this E3 be as uneventful as many fear or will we get enough release dates before April 2020, like The Last of Us Part 2, Cyberpunk 2077, Persona 5 Royal, etc., to make the next 12 months not feel like a lost year waiting for new hardware? I don't know, Jason. I think you're looking at this through a PlayStation perspective, which makes sense. This yeah. is a PlayStation podcast. But this E3 has the potential to be a massive E3 simply because of what Xbox does or doesn't do. Yeah. So I would be, you know, just as an, uh, you might not be an Xbox gamer. I'm not an Xbox gamer. They're going to show multi-platforms on the stage, though. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, you can still watch it and be excited about stuff, even though PlayStation's not going to be there. Presumably, we assume. I don't, I, I don't think they'll be there. I, well, they're not going to be there, but I, they're I not going to be there in the stage presence. But I don't know. But who knows? Are. Who knows if, like, you know, one of them walks up on the Xbox stage and be like, hey, clouds. <laughs> and they start shaking hands and then clouds start. They put out a fog machine. They do the weird political handshake where they, like, look at all the different cameras and shake hands for, like, 15 seconds, yeah. which I always hated. <laughs> It's so, so fucking awkward. terrible. It's so fucking awkward. Yeah, I'm the president of the United States, and I, you know how they have those meetings in like the in whatever room in the White House. They'd be like, "Listen, we're shaking hands like normal people, and that's it. Yeah. We're not going to sit here and act like this is a thing we're going to do. And I'm going to hold your hand for 20 seconds. It's a little weird. It is a lot, you know. But yeah, I don't know. So I, I tell the photographers, I'm like, "Get ready." 
We're about to shake hands. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what the, what happens. I am too. I, so, by the way, Jason did bring up The Last of Us Part 2. I'm hearing The Last of Us Part 2, it, it's very possible it comes out this year. Um, that's what I'm hearing. Hmm. At the end of the year. It's dated maybe for October or November. And then Tsushima, first half of 2020. Who knows if like that's February. actually true. That seems like that's reasonable. But I will say again, I just stopped reporting on it, Chris, in the show because it's becoming a little redundant. But Naughty Dog is constantly still hiring for like permanent end contract positions. Like, I just don't understand how you could possibly be still working this deeply on a game where you're actually interviewing people and bringing them on board to work on a game that comes out by the end of the year. It seems that seems tight. Yeah. Me. Who knows? I would love to see The Last of Us this year. But uh, again, everyone just focus on Xbox. You want to keep your eye on Xbox at E3. Well, we have a couple more episodes before E3, so we'll remind you. But keep your eye on Xbox. That's where all the interesting shit's going to be, in my opinion. No, well, yeah, especially this year. <laughs> Definitely. Isaac Senesi wrote in and said, Greetings, gentlemen. Recently, I've been replaying 2016's Doom and enjoying it immensely. I know both of you are fans of the game, especially Chris. So I would love to hear what are you hoping for for its upcoming sequel, Doom Eternal? What additions to the gameplay story or world would you add? Any fixes or tweaks to, to the existing systems? Hope you are all great. Keep on making Tuesdays great again. Thank you so much, Isaac. I had to bring up this, Chris, because we bring up Doom constantly and it's become a joke on this yeah. podcast and, and we know that, <laughs> but we really haven't substantively talked about Doom Eternal in terms of what you hope it is. So I'm going to kind of defer to you. What could Doom Eternal do that the original didn't do that might make it a better game? And I, by the original, I mean 2016. For sure. Yeah, I think from what I've seen, they've already implemented a lot of stuff that I'm pretty excited about. The, the dashing and like the grappling hooks and all that stuff. The fact that the demons actually degrade as you shoot them is pretty wild. Uh, it looks faster. Uh, and I'm happy about that. I, I can't think of anything that I would improve over the original Doom except maybe cut down on some of the... There were there were segments, there were small segments in Doom 2016 where you were stuck in a room kind of forced to listen to a character talk and you couldn't do anything about it. You were just kind of stuck in that room and you were just like, had exposition poured onto you. It didn't last long, but compared to how quick the rest of the game flowed and like how you were in combat within the first minute, it is it was kind of like, ooh, this is... Uh, jarring to the pace. So as long as there's no moments like that, or they do those moments tastefully in, in a way that doesn't feel like it impedes on the gameplay, I can't think of anything that the game could do to be worse than the original. Like, I don't know. Like, it's... As long as they go for that basic blueprint and everything that they've added, including the grappling hooks and the dashes, makes sense and are balanced well and are doled out at, at a reasonable progression uh, timeline, I don't see the... I'm, I'm pretty confident that they've got it in the bag. I think based so too. I think that they probably do have it in the bag. Yeah, and they I, know the tone of the game, like from based on what I've seen. They they get what made the first one so good, and it doesn't seem like they're going overboard on like crazy first person cutscenes or like there's no Doom guy's not delivering a soliloquy about his dead wife or anything, you know. <laughs> so like I'm 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 excited, cautiously optimistic, like like always. But yeah, I don't know. I just want more of Doom One, to be honest. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not even cautiously optimistic. I'm. I'm optimistic. I don't. I don't see how they could fuck it up. But because, like you said, they really Doom 2016 was the product of a really tortured dev cycle where Doom Four was canceled, and you know all of this kind of oh, stuff. Yeah. And so they, the game had no. No one anticipated the game. In fact, I kind of remember, if I recall, Doom wasn't even available to any media, as far as I know, until it came out. If I recall, and I think that I recall that because I think people were shocked, like. Yeah. Why wasn't this available to us? You know, and so I think that they understood that they got something, you know, really in the bag, like you said, and just make more of that. I think that it's a Mega Man thing, right? 
Yeah. Just make more of that. For now, you, that's all you have to worry about. Maybe later you add in some other things, but just make more of that for now. I think people will be happy. If you release a third game that's basically just the same kinetic shit, then yeah. maybe people start getting bored. It doesn't even it. seem like it's the same because like they've they've added you know like all these new movement mechanics. The grappling hook on the end of the shotgun is ridiculous. That's already like a pretty big change, but one that I'm pretty excited about. So yeah, I don't know. I, I in in Hugo Martin, I trust. I will say this though, Chris, you and I are different in this way. Mm-hmm. Even when I'm playing these fast paced shooters, I don't. What well, we were even talking about Bioshock Infinite. You and I a little while ago, where mm-hmm. I never used the skyhook at all in the oh, game. Oh, I constantly used it. So I think we play differently too. So even in these kinds of fast games, I still try to find a corner and let the enemies come to me. And like, oh really? Yeah, like no, really? I, I'm hopping through the. It's so fun, man. Ah, the beauty is that you can play it however you want. Doom. I got to go back to Doom 2016. I'd like to platinum it actually before Doom is like Doom a Return. rhythm and fighting game almost in an FPS. It's like so fun. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Chris, we have three more to get through. Andy Genero wrote into us and said, Hello, Colin and Chris. I'm a gamer who owns all systems, and when I'm playing Super Mario Odyssey on my Switch, I can't help but think, why does PlayStation give up why did PlayStation give up the mascot platformer genre to Nintendo? I love me some Mario, but I think it's not enough of a challenge. And it has a staley story all the time. I think PlayStation could really put Mario to shame if they really wanted to and appeal to both younger and older generations of gamers if they do it right. What say <laughs> sorry if you're hearing this by the way, Lola's <laughs> scratching on the door and Aaron's yelling at her. What say you? So this, is inter- so this is interesting. What he's basically saying is like, should Sony invest more resources into a Mario Odyssey like 3D, presumably 3D platformer? And my answer to that is no. They already did invest in that kind of with Knack. And I'm not saying that Knack is like a fine game. It's not. But that's not what PlayStation really is. So it would be cool. You can play t- a, a hat in time and shit on the, or, you know, stake yeah, pass yeah. or whatever. But I don't know that that's a wise allocation of Sony's internal resources. Maybe they invest a little bit in a second party studio to make it, you know, whatever little, you know, Sackboy game or something. But I don't know, like what. Yeah, I mean, Little Big Planet was that. It was a mascot platformer, really. When you look at it, it was. But see, this is what ah, this is why Medium Molecule annoys me so much because it's not right. Like they they made a game <laughs> where it's kind of it is, but it isn't. Like they didn't just deliver a game. It's very nebulous. This is so it's interesting that like we've actually not really since Jack and Daxter, maybe Ratchet and Clank is in there. But again, I don't Ratchet and Clank was recent. Yeah, I understand what he's saying, though, because I don't consider Ratchet the same style of game. That's really like a 3D, almost like third person shooter in a way. That's like a destroy humans kind of game. Right. Exactly. I, I don't think it's like what he's really talking. Maybe it is what he's talking about, in which case there's your game. But I don't know that we need anything that like f- much further, you know, and I don't, I don't, by the way, I don't think Mario Odyssey is a very good game. Like, I, I think Mario Odyssey is like, oh, I like it. I, I like think it it's fine. I just when I played it, I expected it to be blown away. I'm like, it's got a 95 on Metacritic, a 95. That's, yeah, but a lot of that is just franchise. It, no, I know of. that. But I played it. And I'm like, this is fine. But I'm like, what is the revolution behind this? It's fun. It's fine. Uh, I, I was really going in. I haven't played a Mario game that really, really blew me away since Galaxy, which I think is an amazing game. Like that that game was that game flipped the script. Yeah. Wonderful game. And Sunshine, I really love too. 
So I, I don't know. I would be. I think a lot of what makes those 3D Mario games really good is the fact is how people learn how to break those games. Like the speed runs of Mario 64. I think that's what makes Mario 64 such a classic title even today is just the different ways that people can play it and different ways people are still finding ways to play it. I think Mario Odyssey has a lot of that potential where there's crazy shit that you see them like dash through the level. And it's like, what is that? That's just cool. You know, and I think that's really what a lot of people focus on when they consider that game. To me, I looked at it when the I was playing. The bendability play of it. I was playing and I'm like, why is it so empty? This was actually the same complaint I had about Zelda. And we were talking about emptiness and rage too. So it's not like we have, where it's pertaining only to Nintendo games. But I was like, these worlds, I, was, I remember being in a desert world and I'm like, this world is so big. But why is everything so far away from each other? Like, what? why is that fun? The, I liked the more Mario Galaxy-esque or even Mario 64-esque, like jump through the painting. This is the world you're in. Yeah, like, yeah. Kind of like there's a little bit more of a linearity to it some special options for you. I just don't, I'm not looking for that on PlayStation. I'm just not, I just, I don't care. You know, yeah. I know I'm in the minority on that. I know I'm going to get some nasty messages as usual. <laughs> Russell Garrett wrote in and said, Hey, C bombs. I originally posted this in an old thread because I probably can't read anyway to my question. PS4 sales numbers are impressive, no doubt, but I'd be really curious to know the impact individual uh, individuals upgrading to the PS4 Pro has had. Back in the day, I think it was safe to assume that one unit would equal one person. Whilst I'm not sure that's the case anymore. I and five of my friends, I'm not bragging, those are basically all the friends I have, all bought the standard PS4 and all of us have since upgraded to the Pro at some point. Is Sony sitting on this data? Do you think they'd ever release it? Personally, I don't think the ratio is huge. I'm just a huge nerd for this type of thing. Keep up the great work. Love from England. I don't think so. I, I think consoles have, you know... You can make the argument that Xbox 360 was actually the console that probably benefited from resale the most because it was so fucking broken. Yeah. That, I, I mean, I knew people, you were talking about, you knew people that have another PS4 Pro. I knew people that had like seven fucking Xbox 360s. Oh, so, yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> so I think that... I had three, I think. I think that's all baked into the cake, to, to personally. I, I don't know that... PS4 Pros are selling well because they're really hard to find still, which is amazing to me. Like, you, there are times where you go on Amazon and there's just no PS4 Pros at all to buy. And when I bought my PS4 Pro, I had to order it ahead of time, and it's got to be like two months later. Really? Yeah. They're hard to find. I had no issue. Well, you had the Spider-Man one, right? I got the Spider-Man one, but I had one before that. Oh, yeah. I just like, handed it off to my roommate because he didn't have one, and it was frustrating me watching him play on a, like a, <laughs> a broken... Like a, like a surf? He had like a, a base PS4 that was like chugging constantly. I was like, please, for the love of God. For the love of God, just play this one. Yeah, yeah. They're apparently pretty hard to find at times. I actually had to talk to a friend of mine and a retailer about that because I'm like, why can't I find one? Weird. And he was like, they're very limited in allocation. I don't know why, but uh, yeah, so I think that this is all, I don't know if you agree, Chris, but I think it's all kind of baked into the cake. Like people, some people's units break, some people yeah, upgrade. Sure. I have five or six PS4s, so. Yeah, no, you're pretty, you're pretty an outlier probably. Right, exactly. And I think the people that upgraded a PS4 Pro are also outliers. I think some people bought sure. a PS4 Pro as their first PS4. I think a lot of people still buy PS4 Slim. I bought a PS4 Pro as my first PS4. I had, a, I had borrowed my first one, the, my base, but uh yeah, I don't think these companies care either because they're just they're selling anyway, you know. Yeah, I don't know if Sony was. I don't know if Sony was because I think they're at like ninety eight million now. If they're like these no ninety eight million units were bought by five yeah. people, I don't know if they would really. Yeah, care. there's no yeah. way you, they would be able to really tell who upgraded because like who's who would. You don't upgrade through a. You don't download the PS4 Pro update. You just go to a store and get a new one. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is that the PS4 Pro, when you sign into it, somehow tags your name as being on these different consoles. Maybe. And not publicly, but they might. My assumption is that they probably garner all sorts of data that we have no idea about. You know, yeah, I'm sure. About how people use it, about how people upgrade and stuff. But I, I, I don't know that it's like necessarily relevant. relevant. Yeah. But an interesting thought, nonetheless, Russell. Hope all is well in England. The final question comes from Reese Maxted, who this wrote in. be a good one. 
and said, hey, uh, I mean, you'll be the judge of that. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> says, hey, CNC, final got, uh, finally got a job. He actually said final, but I'm going to say finally got a job so can give you all my excess cash now. Thank you. But remember to save some for yourself. Was just wondering with new games like Days Gone and Rage 2 being not so well received by critics due to a lot of repetitiveness, while something like Far Cry is usually liked for this reason. Do you think it could have anything to do with the fact that Far Cry is a more established franchise? And are some reviewers more likely to rate a game like Halo 5 higher than Killzone because it's a bigger franchise? P.S. Keep keeps those thighs thick, Colin. Well, thanks. I, I don't like that. I don't like that one. I don't know. I, we were, it's funny. We were just talking about Nintendo because I actually do think that there's a subconscious and sometimes conscious bias for Nintendo in the industry. And I think that's why games like Super Mario Odyssey and Zelda end up at 95 on Metacritic, which, I, again, I think is absurd. It's totally absurd. Both games belong in the 80s, by the way. I'm not saying that they're terrible. I just think it's absurd that you have a 95, right? I would give Breath of the Wild like an 8.5. 8, 8. But do you think that there's any bias here? Because actually what Reese said is unintuitive to me. You would think that a game like Far Cry, because of its repetitiveness, would start getting dinged for it. While a game like Days Gone, just because it's a new IP, even if it was a little repetitive, would be more forgiven for it. That's my opinion. No, I, I I think I see what he's saying because like the idea is like with a with a franchise, you're more forgiving of it just mm. on the base of like okay, you have positive memories with it, and as long as it fulfills like certain niches that the franchise has historically hit, then you're kind of more happy with it. Otherwise, as opposed to like a new IP, which is like okay, how does this differentiate from other things that are currently available? Yeah, that's you know true. I mean? That's an interesting point. Yeah, no, I think you're right there too because we have expectations. Because I think, honestly, hmm. far, like Rage Two versus Far Cry New Dawn, they're very similar like games. If you want to look at it like from like oh uh, neon kind of open world RPG FPS, Rage Two is way better than Far Cry New Dawn to me, in my opinion. And it's it's kind of baffling that Far Cry New Dawn scored as high as it did. Yeah, it's definitely not as good of a game to play. I, I will say just yeah. for my limited, Rage Two is like one of the finest shooters I've played in a long time. Like, no yeah. doubt about it. It definitely gave them a tutorial about how to make a, a first person shooter. <laughs> yeah. Again, considering that Avalanche is not a first person team. I mean, they, they I think the hunting game that they make is first person, but they're a third person action game uh, team. Typically, I mean, Mad Max and the Just Cause game. So, uh, well, Generation Zero is first person. Not a very good game. Well, the, yeah, that's true. And the, well, the, how does the shooting feel in, in that? It doesn't feel anything like Rage 2, does oh, it? Oh, it's horrible. No, so like my assumption it's is... It's unbelievable how bad that game my is. My assumption is that a lot of the first-person shooting elements did come from id tech, and a lot of like was just... They probably took the Doom engine and like tweaked it a little bit, or like just the the framework of w the way the FPS works in that, and just kind of ported it over, made some minute changes. Because that, that shooting feels like really good. Really good for an Avalanche game. Like, that's mind-boggling. Yeah, it's great. It's way better than Far Cry shooting. I agree with you there. But yeah, I don't know. I think there's a there's a reason why Far Cry New Dawn is, is scored a little bit better. And it's because it's a Far Cry game and people know what to expect from a Far Cry game. So the people who go into a Far Cry game to review it or to play it probably know what they want. And they're probably going to get what they want if they've played the previous Far Cries. Mm. Whereas Rage is like, what the hell even is Rage? Like, I don't know. I never played the first one. I played like the first one like for like maybe 10 minutes. Yeah, I played it for a few hours. I think I have a few trophies from it. So yeah, you guys can it's see fine, it. yeah. I guess. But like. There, there's expectations. Yeah, I, I honestly still don't have any idea why they went back to that title. Like that, that was my one major thing where I'm like, why are you making a, ra a rage? Because like, it's, well, I just don't think it means anything. Like, I, I think, that, no. I think this game would do just as well, if not better, if it was named something else. You know, like, 
I think the fact that it's Rage was also was enticing though. Like the fact that it's like they're making a sequel to that game. What? Well, because they got I, people talking about it. Like, what the hell is this? They're making a Rage too. Well, because they were to, as opposed to Avalanche making uh, Metal Man. You yeah, know? It's that's like, true. Oh, okay, they're making a okay, whatever. Well, that's true, but I think that a part of it was a bait and switch too. I think I think that remember remember when they announced it and I was like, there's no way it's making this game, and and people were like, it is making it with Avalanche, and I'm like, no, they're not. And then eventually, like six months later, they finally said, like, we aren't making the game. Avalanche is making the game. I'm like, no shit. So, yeah, I, I don't understand. I, I, that's a, I understand what you're saying, where, like, just putting a, sequels do typically well. But here's the other interesting thing, Chris, is that, like, Bethesda or I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, no, Bethesda didn't even make the original Rage available to play. Like, they didn't even re-release it. Or like make a special edition, or that it, it was, might be available on backwards compatibility. But that's it's, it is available on backwards. But compatibility PS4 players couldn't play but, it. Yeah. So right. that was the old thing. I'm like, you're. It's it's kind of like Mass Effect Andromeda again. We're like, what are you doing? What is the connection here? If you're not even encouraging the connection, literally no one can play this game on PlayStation Four unless maybe you have PS Now or something. And I'm, I, I know we have to give more shift to PS Now. I know we constantly forget about PlayStation. Now. <laughs> but the point is, is that I want PlayStation Now. You should have just re-released the game. Yeah. Kind of like they did with South Park, the second South Park RPG, where the first one came as like a special edition, like a bonus option, basically. Well, the first one has a lot of like weird connotations about it because it was also kind of like this this one. It was just this FPS that just kind of floundered and just kind of sat there. You know, it doesn't have a particularly good reputation, I think. But it does have a reputation that they can do something with as opposed to drawing attention to their weaker endeavor. You know, maybe it's one of those things. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Because I think I think. mm, Rage might have done better, too, if Borderlands hadn't come out first, because I remember playing Rage and being Maybe. like, oh, this is a really boring Borderlands. That's that's that was like what I remember. Like, I'm like, it's it's very fun to play when it lets you play. I remember it feeling like Borderlands with its little hub towns and shit. Yeah, but I, I have very vague recollections of that game. But the point is, is that it would have been nice to have been able to play it on PS4 because I probably would have. But I don't know. I, I just the tether between the two games is a little is a little. Tenuous it's very thing. loose. I yeah. honestly like. My tinfoil hat says it's it's a, it's an experiment for an open world doom. Yeah, I That's think you're what probably it seems right. like to me. You could be right. I, my my tinfoil hat thing is that they literally just wanted to use Id's name for as long as possible before someone finally called bullshit on it. You know, <laughs> that's my theory. It's weird though because the shooting feels so Id. It does. I it's built on Id Tech, isn't it? Is it on Id Tech? I don't know if it is or on. Or is it on Avalanche's engine? I think it's on Avalanche's engine. Hmm. I, yeah, they have an open world. They have an open world engine. I forget what the fuck it's called. Do, uh, no, that's. The Doom guys? No, no, no. The Avalanche guys have their own proprietary engine, I think. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah. Because they make, like, that hunting open world game. They made Generation Zero, Just Cause. Yeah. All these kind of it's very, very similar. physics heavy. Yeah. Um, game. And in Generation Zero, they really went out of their way to make the most boring <laughs> fucking world I've ever seen in my life. I'll never forget that red house in the distance. You, you understand what I'm saying? We went over the story. I'll never forget that red house in the distance. <laughs> you walked for And I miles. walked forever to get to it, and it was just a piece of geometry. No. It's messed oh, up. that that annoyed me, dude. I was so annoyed. I was like, I'm, I'm not playing this game anymore. That's very rare for me. Usually I, I really stick with games. No, that seems like a straw broke the camel's back kind of deal. It's like, this is too much. That and the combat's fucking terrible. Yeah. But that's uh, some people were ask, like saying that, like, it's been patched and stuff. I'm almost interested to like go back and be like, did you fix this? Did you add a house to this? Did you add <laughs> any did, sort did you, of. Can you walk in this piece of geometry? I now? played that game for two or three hours with no cutscene. So it's kind of cool from this perspective. No text, no cutscenes. No talking, no people. It sounds like fucking 
what is that? What, what was that open world zombie game that was like Daisy? It sounds like zombie almost, you? where it's like no oh uh, Daisy Daisy where it's like oh. you just kind of dropped in the map and you're like figure stuff out. It's a big map and it's like okay. Yeah, that game. What were that guy's name? Daybreak. They were in San Diego. I went and visited them once because Sony owned them. What and, they own the Daisy people? And oh, oh, yeah. Oh, is Daisy what I'm thinking? No, Daisy's what I'm thinking. Daisy right. was the uh, was a PC game. Yeah, yeah, but it was it was like an Arma mod or something. Oh, maybe I'm thinking. What am I thinking of then? There was a zombie SIE or SOE game from the guys that did DC Universe Online. Oh, what the hell? Oh, H1Z1. Right. That was just yeah. That's H1Z1's like. My mind's not very sharp today. H1Z1 is just kind of like today. basically just a ripoff. It's the same, which is. It's a ripoff of a ripoff of a ripoff. You know how those those kind of games go. Ripoff Inception. Mm-hmm. Chris, that's all I have for Sacred Symbols episode. What was this? Episode 47? 47. It's a hefty one. I actually think episode 50 will go live during E3. Is that the E3 episode? That's a little weird. If that's true, let me see. One, two. Yeah. Well, the week of that, E3 huh? will be the 50th episode. So it's pretty wild. We've been doing this almost a year. It, we have. That's insane. And again, remember, we're going to be celebrating that with our top tier patrons. We're going to be sending out signed art. It'll be the first thing I ever had Chris sign for you guys. So that'll be fun. Oh, yeah. And by the way, I don't know exactly what we're going to do for E3. We have to figure that out. We'll have we'll start yeah. having that discussion next week because we I hate doing E3 predictions and there's no PlayStation presence there this year. By the way, like our shows back in the day were the ones that started doing E3 predictions. So I am a little bitter that everyone straight up copied us and they and they straight up did so so i now that literally everyone does that i don't want to do it anymore right so i want to i want to <laughs> figure out a different a different re, like way to do that and i also have to figure out like the e3 episode that week like i'm kind of convinced that we should do two episodes that week one for like mm-hmm. at the normal time but i'd also like to do one about xbox i think well considering they're the main presence i think i think we probably should well, keep that feedback coming. We'll figure out what we're going to do. At least one episode of E3. Well, obviously going to have an episode before E3 and an episode during E3, but yeah, yeah. maybe two episodes during E3. Well, uh, I believe Microsoft goes on Monday, right? Right. We could do the episode, watch it here, and then do it do after. another one, yeah. That's true. That's true, because at that point, Square, I think, would have already gone. Yeah. We can wait for UB, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. EA's thing will be the weekend before yeah so yeah we'll, we'll be able to talk about that on the main the normal episode yeah i think we're good i yeah. think we're good yeah but keep that feedback coming let us know what you want because it does feel a little unintuitive to cover xbox here but because the next gen battle is shaping up i feel like oppo research in a way is like good like that's something that we should all be aware of and there are plenty of xbox fans that listen to this too and i'm certainly very curious about what they do so yeah. I, I really think we should do what one I, assume, I really think we should focus on them a little bit i i yeah i think i assume that there's a lot of people also who made the switch from 360 to ps4 at the beginning of the at the beginning of the generation right. who are probably still curious yeah you might want to go back even so, who knows so we'll see it'll be an interesting week for sure that that week right so next week is the pre-e3 episode we'll figure out what we want to do for that again i'm really loath to do predictions i, get, I have a lot of bitterness about it but, but, maybe, but maybe maybe we will. It's like one of those things where I remember getting into this argument at IGN with a producer there because uh, I did. I used to do this thing called PlayStation Conversation where I would stand up with someone and talk every day about something. I would just put videos up. Mm-hmm. And then years later, I brought up, they were like, well, uh, they're like, oh, can you bring up some of the ideas that you had brought up? And I'm like, oh, yeah, like doing stand-ups, like PlayStation Conversations and stuff. And they're like, you didn't come up with the idea of two people standing in front of a camera talking about video games. And I'm like, if I didn't, then why did no one do it? On IGN until I brought up the idea. Doesn't seem that intuitive, does it? Huh. (laughs) So stop copying me. Yeah.
Stop. I'm tired of it. I'm only kidding. Chris, I'm angry. I can see that. I'm not really angry. <laughs> time to go. Thank you all for your time. Appreciate you. Love you. Remember, support us on Patreon if you can. Buy merch if you can. Leave us nice reviews if you can. Share with friends and family if you can. Don't. Don't eat too much processed sugar. Yeah, don't eat a, uh, what is it, four-fifths of a box of Lucky Charms? Yeah. I think Unless I you're the, like five years old, in they which call case that you can o- probably handle that. Overnight diabetes is what they call that. It's overnight. insane that you used to be able to, I, I used to be able to do that when I was like nine, you know? I could eat a whole fucking bag of that shit. Dude, I'm always surprised. I'm not a sugar eater really, but I'm always surprised to this day when I go get my, my blood test blood test done or whatever, and I get the, the one thing back that indicates if you're like, you know, if you're normal or if you have prediabetes or diabetes, and I'm like way normal. And I'm always like, huh. How much sugar and is people are people eating to even yeah, get right? pre diabetic? That's 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 been on my mind too. I'm like, yeah. how am I how? When you're when you're told that you're healthy, it's like, okay, sure. Yeah, it's, told, and it's yeah. also totally ridiculous I'm when healthy you're like, yeah. quotes. They're like, oh, you have very healthy you're very healthy. I'm like, yeah, sure I am. Healthy is code for you're not currently deceased. Yeah, exactly. Is what I feel like now, going now, to the doctor. Now if you don't mind me, I'm gonna walk back into my plume of weed smoke, doctor. <laughs> uh all right, Chris, we'll see you next week. For sure. Appreciate you, appreciate everyone out there. Talk to you next time. Goodbye. Take care. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Carlos Algaret, C.J. Anderson, Morgan Ashley, Taylor Barkley, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Michael Betts, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Blossford, Barrett Boswell, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixie, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Tom Cargill, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Ryan Caulfield, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Geo Corsi, Nick Cummings, Daniel Diamore, Colin Davenport, Daniel Delanikos, Mitchell Durkash, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Martha Emery, Joe Finn. Eric Finkenbeiner, Candler Four, Fotios Frangos, Michael Gallier, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, John Jameson, Joshua Jonathan, Greg Julefs, Anton Kay, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinzel III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lastiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Elijah Lopez, Colin Love, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Joe McPartland, Dennis Meinchin, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Middling, Albert Miranda, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Ryan Murdoch, Brian Nietzsche, Adam Nitsch, Donnie Nolan, George Anthony Nunez, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, David Parkhurst, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, Nicholas Perfect, James Perone, Jason Pettit, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Tony D. Riemenschneider, 
Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Schultz, Michael Shanholtz, Brandon Sharkey, Toby Schutman, Glendon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Andrew Smith, Daniel Strycharsk, John Tambanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Joseph Thayer, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Jacob Turnbaugh, Phil Van Ralt, Raymond Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Toothless Gibbon, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Homeworld Hub, Throw7, Infinite, Mad Mock Media, Fabian, Mubarak, Richter86, Hugo's Desk, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Donk2015, and Gavin. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.